Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. But before we begin, we have even more pressing news. I did not tell Dylan this was happening. Dylan, what do you think about the Big Ten allowing Ohio State to play in the championship game? You know, so my first reaction when their coach, I want to say his name is Ryan Smith, or is it Ryan it's Day? It's Ryan Day. Ryan <laughs> Day. A fantastic start. There's a Ryan Day in the world somewhere, and I know him, but it, or I'm in a Ryan Smith. But anyway, so Ryan Day, I see him talking about, like, the Big Ten needs to figure this out. Like, it needs to be fair. And my first reaction is, who gives a fuck about fairness? We're in COVID. You know, like, this, like shit's happening, okay? There's a bunch of teams that have had problems, so whatever. And then, you know, I don't know. I just... I don't know what my reaction is because I just don't care about Big Ten football right now because, hell, Purdue, no matter who's on the damn team, they could run an NFL roster out there and still lose games they're supposed to win. I mean, I think they've been favored the past four games and they've lost all of them. So it's like I don't know what the hell is going on anymore. And, you know, Ohio State – Well, so is Ohio State going to play IU? Is that what it's going to be? Or I think it's that- Northwestern. Okay, so good. If IU doesn't get a shot, then I'm happy. So that's that's what I have to say about it. I'm gonna make sure Caleb Lynn only listens to this part of the podcast. You know how many message over under how many messages do you think Caleb will send you after listening to exactly this part of the podcast? <laughs> um, I would guess three or four, but um, you know, I don't really care. Like I'm I'm just sick of IU fans that they haven't won a championship in their lifetime. They have to talk about their dads, like their dad's favorite teams of the nineties and eighties. Who cares? Okay. Like, you know, obviously I have nothing, nothing to say because Purdue has never won anything, but like we, we know we haven't won anything. It's fine. Like we're fine with it. We're, we're living in our sadness. It's just okay. But IU, they want to act like they're, Oh man, we're up there with, all these great schools were basically the Alabama of football, the Duke of basketball. It's like, shut the hell up, okay? Just shut the hell up. I'm over it. Wow, scathing takes <laughs> to start the podcast. Just incredible. I, I was planning this in my head the whole time. I did not see this coming. That, that was that was an, a tour de force by you, Dylan Listen, Hughes. I'm trying to get in touch with my inner peace these days, but you bring out IU, it's over. Like, that is all crashing to the ground. I mean, and you didn't even bring them up. I brought them up, but that's, that's right. I, well, I mean, I, implied in the question was that I, you got screwed, but it, it doesn't seem like you care. It like, it oh, doesn't, no. they, they deserve it. Okay. They just deserve it. I don't care. I'm sorry. I just don't just an incredible start to, to a wonderful podcast. What's well, going to be right. I'm going to speak it into existence. My name is LeVar Ball. Um, Speaking of which, <laughs> a team that we're not going to talk about much signed the third ball brother, amazingly. But so we're getting around the point here and I apologize if I'm a little loopy. I've worked an incredible amount the last week and will continue to work an incredible amount the next two weeks. But 
Dylan and I gather here today to talk about ceilings and floors of each of the 15 Eastern Conference teams. Now, some of the ceilings and floors of the teams will be obvious. The team that signed LiAngelo Ball may not go higher than 14th. We'll, we'll get to them. <laughs> we'll get to them. But generally how this is going to go. So I wrote down, we're going to go in alphabetical order. I wrote down a projected like depth chart, right? Or projected rotation. And then I'm going to throw it at Dylan. That's, that's basically what we're going to do here. And then Dylan and I are going to opine for a couple minutes and we're going to move on to the next team. Because some of these teams we don't need to spend a long time talking about because we spent a long time talking about them in the bubble and they did not change much. <coughs> Boston. <coughs> um, <laughs> so let's start with, I would say, if it weren't for the Pacers, this would be Dylan Hughes' favorite team, the Atlanta Hawks. So their projected rotation is Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and the starting small forward is in flux. I put down Kevin Herter, um, but you could start Reddish or Hunter. John Collins, Capella, DeAndre Hunter, Rondo, Cam Reddish, Gallinari, and Okongwu is probably going to play, but I don't, I'm don't. i not projecting how much. So, Dylan, what do you think is the Hawks' ceiling, and what is their floor? Okay, so ceiling, we're going seven. So they they have a good shot as at a playoff spot here, in my opinion. Um, the floor we're going to go ten. I think there's there's pretty defined tiers of teams at this point, and it's hard for me to see the Hawks slipping below ten. And they're doing the seven through ten playoff challenge thing at the end. So it either way, you know, they're going to have to fight for a playoff spot, but. So you look at the roster, and we've talked about them our past couple pods with their additions. I mean, they've made, like, really good improvements. I mean, adding Bogdanovich and Gallinari, like, that alone, you know, you're going to – and we've talked, like, they're going to have an incredible offense. They It wouldn't shock me if they have the best offense in the league, um, maybe uh, outside of Dallas. But, I mean – <sighs> So the starting lineup is awesome. What happens with Collins is interesting to me still. I think he's low-key one of the more interesting trade chips because, I mean, hell, if if the Hawks find themselves in one of those, you know, bottom-tier playoff spots and they think they can flip Collins for something that, you know, maybe is a little bit more useful at the moment, I think they probably do it. Um, and I, I would be kind of surprised if they didn't trade him in the, during the season – but I don't know. Maybe they do a sign and trade next next summer. But that's interesting. Um, at the very least, he's a great backup. I mean, I, it's I don't know what they're going to do because I mean, you could play Reddish or Hunter at the four two. You could play well. You, you know, if this rookie who's a center, but if he's in there, then it's hard to imagine um, Collins not getting backup time at center. So there, you know that that's that's one interesting thing to me, um, and that that could deter. It may not have a huge impact on where they end up, but it could. Um, getting Rondo in there is is kind of fun. Like I don't know, I just don't know what to do with him anymore. It's like you expect the least out of him, and then he kind of comes out and surprises you um, when you know when it's really important. So, and we saw with the Lakers this past. Um, postseason that he you know he wasn't consistent but he had moments where he was their third best player and that's really all they needed to get through so 
it's going to be interesting with that. Um, and he's going to have a bunch of shooters around him. So that may be good. Um, and, and just from a personal standpoint, what happens with Chris Dunn is fascinating. <laughs> I mean, he probably does not play much, but you know, if they end up with an injury, who knows? And obviously looking at this depth chart, you know, Nathan Knight, who I'm pretty sure is a create, create a player. I've never heard that name before in my life. Yeah. What the Nathan hell are you Knight, talking about? <laughs> I'm clicking on his thing, but I think Nathan Knight may, uh, may play a big role here. Let's see. He's, he's a six ten center. Holy. He's has, he, he's the same age as me. He has my birthday. This, this um, is the beauty of this podcast. Okay. <laughs> like I, I never knew this man. Now I have a bond with him that I will never relinquish because he was born on the exact same day as me. Incredible. I mean, this is, and he doesn't even have a picture in ESPN's database. So he's, he's really going for uh for, he's really a team guy. Like he doesn't need people to recognize him. So. Give Nathan Knight a team picture. You cowards. So, you know, what happens with Nathan Knight is going to be fascinating for me. But, you know, I, I mean, it's it's a great – it really is a great starting lineup at least. Their overall rotation is solid. I think they, you know – if Herder's coming off the bench, that's pretty interesting. I mean, that's that's some serious six-man-of-the-year type of, type of uh, upside right there. Oh, yes, Kevin Herder. I don't think there's any player that Dylan Hughes loves more than Kevin Herder. <laughs> Is is there any that you love more than Kevin Herter? Yeah, there are, but he's in he's in that group. He's in that that group where would I consider buying a jersey? I don't like jerseys, but you know, if I had to make a list of thirty players, I might put Kevin Herter on there. You know how how many redhead guys can you really support? You know, and I'm not a redhead, so like it's not. There's no reason for me to like them, but. You know, you got to support those guys. They're not, they're very rare. Um, first of all, I just want to say you're on a heater to start this pod, my friend. <laughs> An absolute fucking heater. You are, you are going off, sir. Um, second of all, I'm going to repeat what I said on the offseason podcast. We talked about the Hawks plenty, right? They are going to have a phenomenal offense, right? Trey Young is probably going to look incredible this season. Like there's, if he doesn't look incredible, something's wrong with him, and he is not what he's been hyped up, hyped up to be. But all the signs are looking as to this team will have one of the best offenses in the like. If the Mavericks were as efficient as they were last year, having the best offense in the history of the league, I can't see any reason why the Hawks can't approach that. Not saying they will be eclipse the Mavericks offense last season, which was incredible. I'm just saying they should get close to it. They should. There's no reason that they shouldn't, right? <laughs> I just want you to imagine something. Trey Young, Gallo, pick and pop. I just want you to imagine that. With <laughs> Collins, Bogdanovich, and Herter surrounding them on the perimeter. I just want you to imagine it. Just, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful sight, isn't it? So this team will score in bunches, and they will give it all up on the other end. Who on this team is a good defensive player? You have Clint Capella, who should make their defense probably like 20th, right? But I don't know how good he's going to lead their defense to be. Like Houston in general was a really well-coached defensive team, you know, and I can't, I don't know how much of that was attributable to Capella, how much of that was attributable to uh, Ben Zdelic, the old, the old ball coach, right? You have Reddish. <laughs> um, you have Chris Dunn. 
DeAndre Hunter should be a good defensive player. <laughs> um, is that it? <laughs> they they draft Okongwu, right? Like the whole gist of Okongwu was that like he's gonna be like real defensive versatility guy, right? He's a rookie, so if he's playing like 15 minutes a game, that'll probably be fine, right? If you outstretch him more than that, it's probably gonna end up being a problem. So. I my ceiling for this team, I had them so okay. Let me real quick define ceilings and floors for me. Because I think that's something that I wanted to make sure I did. So the ceiling is a plausible best case scenario where everything goes right. And the floor is an injury-free, which is an important because this is gonna be the COVID season, so there are gonna be a lot of those. <laughs> an injury-free, worst case scenario where absolutely everything goes wrong. So the ceiling to me was the six seed. I think that their offense could be good enough where they could possibly get to succeed, right? And then the floor to me was 10th. Like, they're not going to be one of the five worst teams in the conference. There's absolutely no way. Look at the bottom of this conference. There's no way. Like, I don't I don't think they're worse than Charlotte. And Charlotte's in that, like, tier, right, of 1 through 10. I There's no way they're worse than the Knicks. There's no way that they're worse than the Pistons. There's no way that they're worse than the Bulls, the Cavs. That's five teams right there. There's no way that they're worse than the Magic. We'll get to the Magic. I'm going to give them a new one. Um, <laughs> I'm ready to shit on the Magic. But just I can't see them being worse than those teams, even at their absolute worst. So I think I think the Hawks will find that comfortable middle there and probably finish seventh or eighth. Yeah, and, and we talked about the pick and roll with Trey, but like adding – I mean, adding Capella, it's like – it's like he's really losing nothing from Houston because he's going to have that same elite ball handler with him. And the the difference is that Trey hasn't had that center. I mean, the dude was, was killing it last year with Alex Lent. Like that, that, I mean, you know, and Alex Lent is fine, but like Capella is much better and he's much better at doing the things that Trey is going to need him to do. And when you're spotting up all the shooters around him – and not just shooters, but shooters, especially with Bogdanovich in there now, they can, like can actually attack that closeout. You know, there's there's a lot of uh, and Gallo too. I mean, there's there's just a lot of a lot more offensive versatility in there now. And once they hit their stride, I mean, they're going to be running teams off the floor. Like, and you know, they may not all equate to wins because again, like the defense is going to be bad. But there's going to be – I think they're going to push 140, you know, maybe a quarter of the season. I mean, they really have that much talent on offense. Yeah, there's there's not a doubt there. I mean, if Capella can push their defense to 20th, right? But then that that's the thing, right? If your guards are always constantly allowing penetration, right? And there's team defense, sure, and some of the penetration is designed. But, like, if your guys are always getting beat by back cuts or they're getting beat by, you know, dribble penetration, it's like, what's, you know, your center is going to foul out, right? Capella's not going to play like more than 28 minutes a game if that's the case. And I mean, their offense might be so potent that they might not need him to play more than 28 minutes a game. But to me, I don't know. One last thing before Trey Young, on Trey Young, before we move on to the um, next team, um, Trey Young got Dwayne Dedman paid because there was only one good shooting season for Dwayne Dedman. That was Trey's rookie year, right? His The year before, Dwayne Dedman was all right shooting. He shot 35%, not bad. The year after, he shot 38%. So, but he has not shot that well since. So, 
I think that this bodes well for like the shooters around Trey, right? Like you just look at the the shooters, right? Herder's liable to go off. Um, Reddish should be if Reddish can maintain his twenty twenty form, he'll be solid. If Hunter can develop a better jump shot, he'll be solid. Um, Gallo is an elite shooter. <laughs> Gallo's going to Gallo's been really lucky with his point guards the last two seasons. He's going to look great again. As long as he's playing as he did last year, which is always a concern because Gallo is frequently injured. But I think that this is a this is going to be probably one of the more fun teams in the league, right? Like the Hawks last year were depressing to watch. Like other than Trey, they had nothing, right? Like a lot of DeAndre Bembry, like Vince Carter played meaningful minutes for this team. <laughs> we I we love Vince, right? I don't I don't know how much you love Vince. I love Vince, okay. Him playing meaningful minutes at 42 years old was a was a legitimate problem. And now they don't have any problems offensively in their rotation. I think that's a huge dump. Okay, first of all, you're giving Chris Dunn a little bit too much credit here. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I thought last season was the season where they may have, a like, kind of a breakout playoff potential, but it was too early. But, I mean, now with those additions they've made and – and Trey being in his third year, really coming off a year where he figured things out, like his passing still amazes me. I mean, I think that dude could make like 15 threes a game, and I would still say his passing is his best attribute. Like that's how good of a passer he is. Yeah, and he averaged nine points. Like we've been saying, right, his team was really shitty. He still averaged 9.3 assists a game last year. If he averages less than 12 assists, I'll be shocked. That's that's all I have to say. But let's let's go ahead and move on. In the interest of time, because we both are really intrigued by the Atlanta Hawks, I think we spent a little too much time on Atlanta. Here's a team that we won't spend a whole lot of time on because we talked a lot about them. It's the Boston Celtics. So the rotation is looking like I mean it's pretty obvious. It's Kemba, Mark Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Tyser Thompson. Pick your poison. Um, whoever you really want to start. And then it gets interesting to me. <laughs> so Grant Williams, Jeff Teague, and then I had Romeo Langford down because <laughs> I don't know who the fuck else is going to play for this team. This team is not deep at all. Um, so what are your ceilings and floors for the Boston Celtics? So I went ahead and gave them a ceiling as the two seed because, I mean, as you said, like this is a best case scenario and that starting five is going to be awesome. So that's what it's really coming down to because they have an incredible amount of talent. And Tatum showed flashes last postseason of being like that freaking guy. And there were, you know, in the Heat series, he really kind of started to show his true colors as like a younger guy because some of those first halves, like he would make up in the second half, he would try to. But some of those first halves were just horrendous. Like, he was missing way too many shots. Um, but if, if he kind of gets rid of those types of games, which I think he will, if not this season, next. I mean, he's getting, you know, what is this, his fourth season coming up? So he's he's starting to get to that age where he's going to figure things out um, completely. But, I mean, he's he's, like, legitimately, like – you know, there's not many guys in the league, I think you can say, that have upside as the best player on a finals team. But he, to me, is undoubtedly in that group. Um, and, you know, again, it's not 
it may not be there right now, but like in the next few years, at the very least, he's going to be. So, I mean, that's a great start. Like when you have one of those guys, you're going to have a really good shot. And they have really good players around him too. I mean, Jalen Brown showed a lot of good things last year. I think he's he's still better as the third best offensive player, but which he is on this team. But I think he's start he's he's getting better at figuring out how to create on his own a little bit. Um, and like obviously, he's such a great defender, and he's really good in transition, which is where he gets a lot of his points. But I mean, we talked about Tristan Thompson for a long time before they actually signed him like that was a great signing for them. He's really a perfect fit for what they have there. So the starting lineup's great, but again, you get to the bench and first of all, Jeff Teague, I mean, <laughs> I'd have rather had Brad Wanamaker. <laughs> I talked about this last pod, but I just don't know how you can have Kimball Walker and think, oh, yeah, we need another small-ass guard that can't get around screens. I mean, come on. Like, it, <laughs> they're just giving up on on uh, on penetration at the top from the point guards. Like, I guess they just hope Marcus Smart can guard everyone on the floor because uh, at times that's what's going to come down to. Um, Grant Williams is probably going to play a role. Again, love Grant Williams, but just – Really small. He's going to have to play bigger than he is. Um, like you said, Romeo Langford, who, again, I would not be shocked at all if Romeo Langford had a good season. I think he's got the tools, but he's still pretty raw offensively. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that he's just going to be able to flip that switch right away. So, I don't know. Like, the bench is where where I where it gets me, which is why my floor for them is five. Mm. Because I think, I think the Eastern Conference is five teams – and I could very easily see the other four teams being better than them um, just based on their bench. Yeah, so my ceiling for them, I could see them finishing first just because, you know, in, even in spite of losing Hayward, they still have incredible continuity. I mean, you could plug Thompson in there, and I feel like it would be pretty similar, right? Obviously, Hayward hurts because <laughs> – Teague, people shat on Gordon Hayward and he was still really fucking good in Boston. He came back from an injury in the bubble and he came back from, you know, his wife or no, he stayed in the bubble despite his child being born. Um, Yeah, that's going to be a huge loss for them. But at the same time, if Jason and Jalen take a big enough leap, I think that they can kind of counteract that. Because Jalen's biggest problem last year was that he couldn't create off the dribble. And if he can, if his dribble game got any better and he works on his game consistently, then it they should be fine. But I just I the floor for them was four. I can't really see them finishing worse than fourth, even with just because those top three guys are so talented. Like, I mean, even Kemba is more of a regular season player. I think we can both agree with that. But I still think that. In the regular season, you just can't convince me that this team won't have home court because I think that they're going to be too they're going to be too strong. You know, Tatum should is liable for a breakout. I could see him averaging twenty five a game this season. He's probably going to have to. And then you get twenty and twenty from Kemba and Jalen. That's at sixty five points right there. You just need an extra forty to win the game with the strength of their defense. So. 
my guess is they'll get the 40 points from somewhere. Um, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to watch the team because Marcus Smart's going to have to make, it's going to have to have a lot bigger role on offense. <laughs> That's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to watch, even if it's not going to be fun for Celtics fans. Um, how high will Bill Simmons' blood pressure be watching Marcus Smart have to take 15 shots a game consistently? <laughs> Pretty damn high. I mean, he's always been one of those guys that, that Bill is like, he's one, when he pulls up to shoot, he's like, no, 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 yes. Like Marcus Smart is one of those guys. He's where, the defining no, 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 yes guy. Yeah. And Marcus Smart, man, he was holding them up in the playoffs. Like that dude would just randomly hit a bunch of threes. <laughs> And like it's it's just funny because like I have a hard time calling him a bad shooter because the numbers may say that, but like I don't know. He has a lot of games where he's an awesome shooter. And you know, the balance of life brings that down and he'll he'll go seven of ten one game and zero of eight the next. So like that's just how it goes. But I mean it's gonna be interesting. That's all I'll say about that. I think we call that the J.R. Smith corollary. <laughs> Where someone's a good shooter, but they they'll have games where they shoot like zero for ten, just because they're so streaky. I think, like Jr. Smith, I think shot like I mean, Jr. Smith would probably be insulted by that comparison because Jr. Smith is shooting like shot like thirty eight percent for his career from three, and Marcus Smart was not that close. But you can't deny that Jr. was super streaky. Like no no one would have watched Jr. Smith and been like. Yeah, that guy is really consistent. You're gonna get the same four for nine from every from him from him every game. Excuse me, <laughs> you're not gonna get that consistency. <laughs> so it's gonna be interesting to watch the Celtics. But in the interest of time, let's go ahead and move on to our next team, the Brooklyn Nets. I think that this is probably the most fascinating team in the conference because. As we heard in my introduction for what the ceilings and floors were, this is like absolutely removing injury from the equation, but you can't remove injury from the equation with the Brooklyn Nets because their best player is coming back from the worst injury in the history of basketball. So what I have for the rotation for the Nets, and I should, I should have said earlier, this is not in order. So like there are some guys that are coming, like that'll be last in these lists that'll absolutely play more than some of the guys in front of them. This is just me jotting down the names. So for the Brooklyn Nets, I had Kyrie, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and Jared Allen starting. I have Dinwiddie, Bruce Brown, Shamit, and Torian Prince, and DeAndre Jordan coming off the bench. So, Dylan, what everyone's all been waiting for, what is your Brooklyn Nets ceiling, and what is your Brooklyn Nets floor? Okay, so thankfully, again, this is an exercise where injury does not count. So... This is a majorly, especially for them, an on-paper prediction. want to make that clear because it's a very important distinction. But so ceiling, I think the ceiling is one. Like the ceiling is one. I mean, just the, the talent there. And like it's not just Kyrie and KD. Obviously, those are your those are your two guys. But I mean, Karis Levert's awesome. Like, I really believe that. Like, again. If you have to trade him for Bradley Beal, you do it. But if you don't have to trade him, you're pretty happy about that because he's really good. And Mm -hmm. he's pretty – he's not uh, paid too much either. 
I think he's making like 13 mil like that. A little more than that. Yeah. I mean, there's a chance that there's a pretty good chance. I'd say that he can outperform that money. And when you have a championship team, any guys like that are very useful. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the bench. Now you want to talk about six man. I mean, if he's there coming off the bench all year, he very well is going to be in that running because he's really figured out his shot. Like he's really figured his game out. Like he, he knows what he can, where he can score. Um, he's very comfortable in his role. I think, I think he would rather be a starting point guard. Um, and maybe there's a team out there that wants to grant him that wish, but in this, on this team, he's, he's, uh, He's going to have an interesting role. I think he's going to be impactful. Bruce Brown, who I'm not sure if he's actually going to play too much. Like, we'll see how it plays out. But again, like, he's coming from the Pistons, okay? You got to give him the benefit of the doubt here. Whatever he's done in the past is erased because he was on the Detroit Pistons, okay? Um, Well, I'll say all the bad things are erased. The good things, we remember those things. And I, I like Bruce Brown. I don't I don't think he's he's uh he's probably like an eighth man at best. But I think he's interesting. He he can do a little bit of secondary ball handling off the bench. Shamit. I mean the, the Shamit's, you know, a great off off ball shooter, got the Reddick treatment that rookie year. So a lot of upside there. Prince and then DeAndre Jordan, you know, who knows? You got Jeff Green in there too. Oh, is Jeff I mean, Green on the Nets? <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Yes, he is. And ESPN is doubting my man. He thinks he's they think he's not in the rotation. But we know that's not gonna happen. Oh yeah. So so I mean, it's a pretty full roster. Like even even if they do suffer some injuries, and you know, am I saying that Jeff Green can fill the shoes of Kevin Durant? No, I am not. But <laughs> He's better than some people that would be filling in for him. So, I mean, they they definitely have number one upside to me. Um, and then the floor is four because even if they do stay healthy, I think there's going to be some growing pains. I mean, for God's sakes, I saw earlier that they might play KD at center. It's like in a normal circumstance, I'd be fine with that because I think any seven-footer should play center. I mean, I've talked about this with Giannis forever, but Kevin Durant is a center that's seven foot that just tore his Achilles. I just, I'm really worried about that Achilles for him. Like it's, if he can overcome it, he is almost like a medical marvel. Like if he's able to get to that same point or even 90% of it, he's a medical marvel. Like that's how serious this injury is. So it, it worries me. Like, even if he doesn't get hurt, is he going to be Kevin Durant still? And that, I mean, that, that, that alone separates them from one to four. Like you can, if you get Kevin Durant, if you get Kevin Durant, you get the one seed. If you get Kevin Durant, that's, you know, coming, he's on the other side of the Hill, got the injury. He's kind of slower. His shot's still on point, but he doesn't really have the moves anymore. You get the four seed, and that's really what it comes down to. So I think this is good that we don't have synergy on this one because – so, yes, the obvious ceiling for the Nets is one, right? Kyrie 
is, you know, 2017 Kyrie with Cleveland, right? By the way, real real quick tangent, because I, I'm not going to stay on this, but I I was looking at the 2017 finals, right? <laughs> How many times in NBA history would a team with LeBron James and Kyrie Irving lose in five games <laughs> if those two guys combined to average 63 points a game? How many times? <laughs> How many times? You know, that's what's beautiful about this era of basketball is that you like, I think we're going to be able to say that for like a long time where you're going to have two awesome players on the same team that lose in the finals. And it it's like they lost to a fucking like they lost to the best team ever, though. That 2017 Warriors best team of all time. No one can change my mind. Anyway, back off the tangent, back off the tangent. So your Kevin Durant points are all are all important, right? Because again, I've made this point on a podcast, but it's worth noting. The only guy to come back from an Achilles tear and be anything near himself was Dominique Wilkins, AKA one of the five best athletes in the history of basketball. (laughs) So yes, there is some trepidation that deserves to be had towards Kevin Durant. But I also think that he's a rare athlete, someone who, whose body type is not, (laughs) hasn't existed in the history of the league before he's a hell of a shooter. So he has that baseline, right? Like baseline Kevin Durant is like 20 points a game on like 45% from three, right? That's like absolute worst you're going to get. I mean, that being said, <laughs> I don't know if I said the floor, the floor for me is the six seed. I don't think that, I think that this whole thing can blow up spectacularly in their faces, right? Here's why, here's why, here's why. Now I know Kyrie has his, you know, army of defenders, right? Kemba Walker is a significantly worse basketball player than Kyrie Irving. How the hell did the Celtics get so much better when Kyrie left? That it's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate question. Here's why. I I ignore like you know locker room stuff, whatever, whatever. Like these guys are grown men; they'll play basketball, whatever. No, it turns out if your teammates hate you, they're probably not going to want to play with you. <laughs> and that's I didn't I didn't realize that like. To that extent, right? And I mean, think about it. That team made the conference finals the year before without him. And you're adding Kyrie Irving, one of the best playoff players in the league. And you lose in five games of the box. So, yeah. Excuse me if I have some trepidation with Kyrie. And we don't know how Karras is going to react to being, like, it didn't seem like he was enjoying himself with just Kyrie last year. I don't know how much he's going to enjoy himself with Kyrie and Kevin. He's going to be third on the begging order. Nobody likes being third. I haven't heard of any, like, okay, maybe Lou Williams, but that's because Lou Williams comes in and takes however many shots he wants. He doesn't give a fuck. He's like, I'm Lou Will, bitch. I'm shooting these shots. That's, like, pretty much it, though. Like, Chris Bosh had to adjust. Kevin Love, I don't think, ever adjusted. Being the third option isn't easy. Now, I'm not saying Karis LeVert is those guys, because he's certainly not. But, I mean, he would be first option on a lot of teams. (laughs) And being third option isn't easy. I'm not saying I feel for him because he's making millions upon millions of dollars. <laughs> this is this is a, not a conundrum that I'll ever experience in my life, but I do think that this is something that he's going to sh- struggle with. And I think that if he can find the balance and if the team can find the balance, they'll finish first. But if Kyrie is Kyrie and Katie's not 100%, I just don't see any way this team can finish first. I, I just don't. Because they're going to, like you said, growing pains. Hell, 
LeBron's first year with the Heat, they finished second. Now that Bulls team was <laughs> a ridiculously good regular season team. We don't need to get into them. But just in general, right? I could see this team struggling to come out the gate. But I don't know. I like want to love the Nets because I love Katie. Katie's one of the absolute most fun players to watch when he's on. It just, they deserve all this trepidation. And it's like Kevin left a great situation for an objectively worse one. <laughs> yeah. So, so on your Kevin Durant point, it's definitely true that of all players in the league, he certainly ranks up there in the guys that would be least affected by this type of injury. But it doesn't mean that he's not going to be affected to a point that it still hurts his game. Like, so he's, he's so long that he's never really needed to jump. So if his verticality is taken away at all, it doesn't matter like much, like he's still going to be able to shoot over everyone in the league except Giannis. So that is not much of a concern. Um, What I worry about is him beating people off the dribble. Like, is he just going to become a stationary player now? Um, And again, he's going to be fine like that because he can just post guys up um, or shoot open jumpers. I don't know. But, it, you know, again, I think think he's going to be fine, but I just – I still have concerns because I've seen what it's done to guys. I mean, we – like, again – I'll never forget DeMarcus Cousins, that the finals he had with the Warriors. I mean, the dude could not move. Like, it was amazing to watch a seven-foot player, ha- like, almost struggle to get layups at the rim. It, it was, like, shocking how, how tough it was for him after those injuries. So, and again, like, the body type point is right. Ah, shit. <laughs> Sorry, my computer just fell. That's staying in the podcast. <laughs> Continue. The body type point is correct that he's very skinny. Like his frame has never relied on incredible athleticism or explosion. Like he doesn't if he loses that in some way, he's still fine. Um but again, I've just seen what it's done to guys, so I worry. The Kyrie part of it, again, I get like I I almost feel like he's gonna be on some sort of like I feel like he's going to be focusing on the media this season more than himself. He's he's just becomes and again I understand I understand the media part because the media is and I hate to be def, I hate to defend the media and say it's their job because I think some of the questions they ask is is ridiculous but it, it is what it is but you know it, it's just hard to like how can you be in that position willingly and, and just fixate on the media as much as he does. I just really like, I, I think he really should just retire. If this is really that big of a problem for him, he should not be in the spotlight. I, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, go in on who he is as a person. Cause I don't know him, but I feel like there's some sort of conflict with him. Like he wants, he wants the, he wants to be a star basketball player. He just doesn't want the consequences that come with it. And it's like, you can't be a star basketball player if you don't accept that you are going to receive massive amount of media attention. Yeah. And and the problem is that these, all these statements he makes just really makes it worse. Like, I I feel like I never hear anything about him 
unless it comes from him anymore. It, he, he responds to the media like they're writing scathing stories about him every week. And I just don't, I haven't seen that. Well, there was, there was one in particular. <laughs> there was one in particular that I understood why he objected to. Yeah. It may, I, may or may not have been from the NBA's leading newsbreaker. <laughs> yes. And again, I mean, me and you know what's up. Like we know right. every Boston media person is, is just almost like, I don't want to say they're worthless, but they're all homers. So they should just be thrown out. Just don't worry about their opinions. Right. They all, they all get hurt there. They take things personally as media members. It's, it's really odd that an entire city of reporters is the same. Basically they, there is one particular NBA reporter who I'm not going to name because I'm not going to do that on a podcast and like where people can listen to it. But there is an NBA reporter who may or may not work for Sports Illustrated who very clearly gets all of his information from Danny Ainge. Like just very clearly. All of the he this guy may or may not have posted a poll on who would you rather have like a star player or Brad Stevens. <laughs> You'll know who I'm talking about if you read between the lines. But I just uh Yes, you're 1000% right. And Kyrie, uh, like, so what he's not, what he's doing isn't going to hurt like the national media guys, right? What he's doing is going to hurt like the local media guys. And yes, it's Brooklyn, so they have like the New York Times, whatever. What about the smaller newspapers, right? That rely on that access. And the access is already really shitty this year, right? From the way it sounds like they're doing, you know, the press availability is just going way down in general. And, Yes, it's typical for us, you know, we're both journalism students, <laughs> but it's like at the same time, you got to think like small newspapers are dying <laughs> and I'm not saying Kyrie is killing them, right? Because that would be an incredibly <laughs> reckless statement when the newspaper industry has already kind of killed itself, but it's not helping, <laughs> right? When these guys could get stories like for profiles that'll generate readership. Nope. Kyrie's like, nope. Screw you guys, because because again, because certain NBA newsbreaker <laughs> writes an article, and yeah, I I don't think you're wrong, <laughs> but at the same time, Kyrie Kyrie is the most okay. Last take because we spend a lot of time on the Nets. <laughs> last last thing, Kyrie is like the most. Wow, well, what's the right way to phrase this? If you know basketball, you under you maybe underrate Kyrie Irving. If you don't know basketball, you definitely overrate Kyrie Irving. Like there are people out there who genuinely believe that Kyrie is a better player than Damian Lillard. Genuinely. Like people that genuinely believe that. And it's like, okay, I know I don't have to listen to you. <laughs> I know your opinion doesn't mean shit. <laughs> I mean, he's a high right highlight real god. Like, there's no denying that. He's the, for my money, he's the most aesthetically pleasing player in the league. Yeah. I mean, like, listen, I have his shoes. I think you do as well. I do. I mean, you got them as a gift, but like, I bought them for myself because I did like the way they looked. But like, the dude, you know, and I've never been a basketball, like, I mean, I've liked playing basketball in my life, but I've never really played super competitively. I'm never one of those guys that's like, oh, if I get Kyrie's shoes, maybe I'll be Kyrie one day. Like, I've never been one of those guys. But, like, I, I, you know, I like supporting Kyrie because he is 
fun as hell to watch. I mean, his dribbling, I don't know if we'll ever see that. You know, like that that is once in a generation type dribbling. Very rare. Um, some of his shooting, you know, like obviously the shot in the finals was is going to go down in history and all that. But again, like there's just more to the game than the on the court. And I, I think – I almost think this season is like the season for Kyrie. Like if this is a bad season for them, if they end up in, you know, on in that floor area between four and six, I mean it's – and I don't know what exactly it means if it's a like, you know, what – I don't know if it's just how the – how the general managers in the league look at Kyrie or what, but I mean, this would, and I don't want to say this is the third team he's messed up on. Cause like the Cavaliers, he kind of left at a good time. Right. So he didn't, nothing was wrong there. Boston, maybe that's an outlier, you know, but if the same thing happens in Brooklyn with another superstar, it's like, what is he just going to be a guy that has to play for the Knicks because there's nothing else. Is he going to be, like, I don't want to disrespect Russell Westbrook here because, you know, we'll talk about the Wizards later. But I, I almost think Westbrook's kind of at that point, too, where his value is to these small market teams that have nothing to sell but superstar talent if they can get it. I mean, you look like – I mean, look at Washington. Like, they traded for him because they knew he was going to sell tickets. And, I mean, it, it may help them win games. It probably will, but – and, and like Charlotte was involved in that, the Knicks, like this is what happens. And I worry that Kyrie, if if this season, you know, continues the way it's already started, that he's going to get to that point where you're going to have the five worst teams in the league are the only teams that really care about him because the good teams are going to recognize the talent, but they're going to like, wow, like, do we really want to risk our chemistry here by just completely by putting this guy in where he's going to make shots for us? but he's going to drag the whole locker room down with him. Yeah, that's those are all really good points. Um, the player I thought of immediately, just that in general, right? Like, I mean, I wasn't, you know, really watching basketball much, but like late career Stefan Marbury, right? Or like, like, I wouldn't put Kyrie on this guy's level as a player, but late career AI, right? Where... I think AI was different, right? I think AI just sold himself out so much <laughs> that by the end of his like by the end of his career was burned out. But Stefan Marbury by the end of his career was a joke. <laughs> right? And that might be where Kyrie's going. And I don't want to see Kyrie go that way cuz I mean the way he plays basketball is objectively great, right? Kyrie finishing is what people said Derrick Rose was. And I this is coming from a huge Derrick Rose guy. Kyrie is one of the best like just layup finishers I've ever seen. Yeah. Like the way he can get the ball to go in, right. It's just absolutely phenomenal. And he's just a real joy to watch, but you combine that with other stuff. It's just, it becomes a problem. We spent a long time on the nets. Let's move on to a team that we for sure will not spend a lot of time on these next four. We can breeze through. So the Charlotte Hornets <laughs> for their rotation. So for some reason, the ESPN depth chart did not have LaMelo Ball starting. I don't know why, but I'm just going to go off of theirs. So Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, P.J. Washington, Cody Zeller, Miles Bridges, LaMelo Ball, Malik Monk, 
Bismack Biyombo and Cody Martin. Um, this is, I think this is pretty obvious. <laughs> what is the Charlotte Hornets ceiling and what is their floor? <laughs> okay, so, I mean, they're objectively better than the last season. So, to me, they make a jump to about a seventh seed type of ceiling. It's just hard to see them jumping any higher than that. Um, but to me, their floor is 11. Again, like the, the next few teams we're going to discuss is going to help help supplement this conversation because it gets pretty rough. Um, so I think 11 is really as bad as it can get. But I have a hard time seeing it being that bad, honestly, because – so there there's a decent little like – if you make Gordon Hayward your basically your main ball handler and you just have him kind of pass to these shooters they have, you're going to be pretty good. But the problem with that is he's definitely not going to be the main ball handler because you just drafted a Lamella ball and you also pay Terry Rozier $19 million a year. So, right. Uh, Borrego's the coach, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what Borrego does is going to be interesting. I mean, Gordon Hayward doesn't have to have the ball, but I think he showed in Boston that I think he – and he showed me for sure that he's a much better distributor than I realized because when he was in Utah, he never really had to play that role. Um, but, I mean, in Boston, like especially when he was coming off the bench, he was doing – he was really good as just a distributor, not a guy that's going to be your number one scorer. So, to me – that's the way they win more games is you have him kick out to Graham, um, Washington, these type of guys, but it's probably not going to work that way. And I don't know a ton about LaMelo ball, but I just think of recklessness when I think of him. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, but I mean, rookie point guards, John Morant aside, it's, it's usually bad. It just usually is. And he's probably going to shoot 38% from the field. So, so you have to make up for that elsewhere. And I don't know, like seeing, just seeing Terry Rozier's name on there gives me like headaches because I think if you, if you just, if you put him on the bench full time, you're probably much better off, but I, I don't know. I don't know. And for the love of God, please trade. Malik Monk, please. Yeah, just, get him to the get him to a team that actually gives a fuck. I'm just sick of it. Like he's not going to be good there. It's just what it is. I I still believe in Malik Monk. I mean, I don't think it's that hard to create a career for a shooter. I think you get him on the right team, and like if he played on the Rockets last year, he probably would have mm-hmm. been pretty good. Oh yeah. So that's really all it takes. And the fact that one of those teams hasn't traded for him kind of surprises me, but maybe this is the year. You know who should, you know, should call up the Hornets. Our boy Masai. <laughs> Try to steal Malik Monk. Cause we'll get to the Raptors. You want to talk about bad depth. We talked about that with Boston, but um, we'll get to that. So real quick, Terry Rozier last year, actually kind of good. <laughs> um, 18, four and four career high in field goal percentage on obviously a career high in attempts Um, career high in three point percentage on almost seven a game. I mean, like, is he what you want? No, but I think, 
I think him and LaMelo are probably going to start together. Devontae Graham to me, I, he's going to feast this year. He's going to go off because he was the only guy who was capable of like really making a whole lot of shots for them last year. And he's going to have a lot more open looks now. I think he's going to feast. Um, he'll, I could see him averaging 20-some points a game this year. I mean, <laughs> is there a more bland center in the league than Cody Zeller? <laughs> like, just in the whole league? Like, just in general, everything. Like, personality, looks, just everything. I, I don't think there, there's a more bland center in the league than Cody Zeller. Um, Bismack Biambo is coming off the bench still for this team somehow. It feels like he's been on the Hornets three different times at this point. <laughs> um, I, I think Biambo, and I know he's technically left, but he's the like one of the only a couple guys in the league that were Bobcats at this point. <laughs> you want to think about it that way. Um, I don't know. My ceiling for them was eighth, and my floor was also 11th. We, you and I kind of agree. I think we kind of come to the same place. I just can't see them being better, right? Like, let's just say, like, the Pacers or the Raptors are the seventh worst team in the East. They aren't going to be – like, the Hornets can't be better than them. (laughs) Like, they're just not going to be better than them. I could see the Hawks, right? We were talking about the Hawks ceiling. I could see the Hawks just outscoring everyone and just having a crazy point differential into their way of being better than a Pacers or a Raptors, right? It's not likely, but I could see it. Not with the Hornets. <laughs> the Hornets are not going to be like the Hornets are going to probably finish 500 and make the play-in tournament. That that just seems to be their destiny for me. Yeah, and the fact that Cody Zeller is still there. I mean, <laughs> like, imagine trying to sell Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo as your front court like rotation. I mean, it's just I couldn't do it. You could pay me $20 million to sell it. I couldn't do it. I mean, hey, P.J. Washington's going to play some five. So Hey, hey, I love P.J. Washington. Like, this is a very pro P.J. Washington podcast. Dude, I watched that dude in college. I'm like, this is David West. This, this is a modern-day David West. I truly believe that. Like, that dude has so much versatility on both ends. And he's even longer than David West. So, like, defensively, he's probably going to be better. But, like, man – Telling you that dude is good, and he was good as a rookie. Like I, he was better than I thought he'd be as a rookie. I think we both had him on our first team for the rookie team when we did that uh, yeah, podcast back I before we did, did the Alex and Dylan basketball power hour. So, I mean, we've both been very high on PJ Washington, our boy PJ. But um, let's let's go ahead and zoom through these next three teams because this is the dregs of the league right here, and the Knicks. We aren't going to do the Knicks yet, but the Knicks are also in the dregs. So the Chicago Bulls, <laughs> my hometown team, <laughs> this team has a wonky rotation. Um, Kobe White, Zach Levine, Otto Porter, Lowry Markkinen, Wendell Carter Jr., Sadoransky, Ryan Archidiakono, who I did not think he was going to stick in the league this long. <laughs> I just, there's no way. He's Kirk Heinrich 2.0. He's never going to leave the Bulls. I'm just like the way Kirk Heinrich was always somehow on the Bulls, he's always going to be on the Bulls. Um, Garrett Temple is on this team. <laughs> Thaddeus Young. And then I had Daniel Gafford as their backup center. Um, ceiling and floor for the Bulls, Dylan. So I have a pretty tight spread here. Um, so I go ceiling nine and floor 12. Um, just looking at their roster, it's hard to imagine them being the worst team in the conference. 
And like in this, in this, in these, like they're a bottom four team. Don't get me wrong, but I think those three teams below them are much worse. That's fair. I I have a hard time seeing it get worse because like these these other three teams. I don't want to spoil them, but we're about to discuss a couple coming up. Um, I mean, a team with Zach Levine, Otto Porter, and Wendell Carter Jr. And you could maybe throw Markin in there too, depending on how you feel about him. There's just no way that's the worst team in the conference. I don't care who the point guard is. Um, I love Kobe White. We'll see if he ends up getting that role. But I, I just really have a tough time seeing that team. Because, see, Otto Porter didn't even play for them last year. Like, Otto Porter no. – Otto Porter's good. People people forget it. Yes, he's over. I forgot it, if I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, see, he's one of those guys where people look at the money. And they just focus on that. And they say, oh, he's not a $30 million player. He's not. But is he a $20 million player? Probably. Like, he's still a really good player. I mean, he's – I think he's up there kind of with Covington, not in talent, but as far as, like, fitting that 3 and D role. Like, he he does the 3 and D role perfectly. He's not – he's nowhere near the defender Covington is, so that's where the difference comes in. But the shooting, like – a few years ago in Washington, he was the best shooter in the league, like no doubt. He was amazing from deep. And it, it was sometimes it was pull-up, sometimes it was off John Wall kicks. Like the dude was awesome. And he was he was a big part of why Washington was a playoff team. Were they a good playoff team? No. They were a playoff team nonetheless. So Otto Porter is good, and that's that's my main contribution here. But the bench, like I've talked about Gafford before. I think Gafford's good. I think he's a good backup center. I liked what I saw from him. Yeah, I, I think he's solid. Um, Patrick Williams is this guy they just drafted, like, what was it, top five or around there? So real is From what the way Caleb made it sound, he's a real upside pick. Okay. Real, real upside so it, pick. So it, so it could be bad early on then. Yeah, they, I, don't, I don't think he's going to play much. They do, they do still have Thad Young, which I forgot about. Um, <laughs> See, I think – so I think that is going to get traded because his last year is non-guaranteed, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that sounds right. So, I mean, he's still useful. We right. saw him in 2019. <laughs> yeah. Useful. I mean, he's he's going to be a great defender till the day he dies. Mm-hmm. Figurati- figuratively and literally. We're gonna, <laughs> he's going to be, be 75 getting... years old. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to be locking people up with a cane. Like, it's just going to happen. He's going to be 80 years old, averaging two steals a game. <laughs> easy, easy money. Um, Garrett Temple, like, I just always loved him for no reason. And that addition to me gives them, like, a 0.4% win projection increase. So that's when you're, when you're talking about the doldrums of the East, that 0.4 is, is really a difference maker. And again, Archie Diacono, I, I love a player that never scores points, but gets a ton of assists. I mean, that that's just thrilling to watch. Like looking at the stat sheet every day and it's like, Holy shit. He got four points. Like great for him. But then you look at the assists. He's like, Oh wow. 11 assists. You know, like I just it's it's not good to have on a basketball team. I will say that, but it's still it's still fascinating to watch. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think I rambled way too much for the freaking Chicago Bulls here. But uh. yes, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, This is my contribution. OK, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. No, I'm not. But because I have actual insight. 
related on what I was going to keep it short and sweet to. They fired fucking Boylan and Garpax. And that's really, really going to fix a lot of their problems. Is Jerry Reinsdorf still the owner? Yes. <laughs> but is Wendell Carter going to look at the rim this year? Yes. Is he going to show what some of that supposed three-point threat that he flashed when he was in college? Yes. Is Otto Porter going to bounce back? And are they going to be better this year? Yes. Point guard is the real weak spot. If you had like a solid point guard in there, like if you had Rubio in there, I could conceivably make a case for them finishing in the top 10. I can't go that far. I think they're going to be the 11th. My ceiling for them is 11th and my floor for them is 15th. Um, Mm. Billy Donovan to me, like, okay, you're definitely right that they aren't as bad as the Pistons, but remember that my, my floors are absolute worst case scenarios. I see them finishing around 12th or 13th just because Donovan never had a player that wasn't a superstar in Oklahoma city. We literally haven't seen him coach without a superstar. Now was he a college coach and probably knows how to coach young players? Well, sure. But I want to see how Kobe White develops. I want to see if Lowry Markkinen can learn to play defense. The answer is probably no, but still I want to learn. I want to see if he can. Um, And I want to see what Zach Levine can do with an actual coach. (laughs) Cause Zach Levine is good. He's certainly not great. Let's make that abundantly clear, but he's good. I want to see him with an actual coach. So let's go ahead and move on because we don't want to spend too much time on these next couple teams. Like I said, the Cleveland Cavaliers. (laughs) So this rotation is wild as hell. Some of these I punted on, but this one is wild as hell. So you have Garland, Sexton, their first round pick of Coro is going to be their starting small forward. Kevin Love, Andre Drummond, Delhi, Exum, Kevin Porter Jr., Larry Nance, and Shetty Osmond. This is going to be absolute tire fire of a season for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Dylan, ceilings and floors for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay, so the absolute best case scenario here is the 13th seed. And the worst case is obviously 15. I mean, they're bad. It's it's kind of funny to like look at their starting lineup because you have Kevin Love and Andre Drummond who are like, veterans and they've been all-stars and like good players in the league and then you look at the top half it's like rookie guy in his second year guy in his third year and those two point guards are maybe good question mark maybe i'm buying like, all the colin sexton stock I, i'm buying I, all of it. i've liked colin sexton going back to college i mean there, were, there was a game in college where they had so many people foul out that there was three players on the floor. I don't know if you remember that. I do. But it was literally – and it wasn't – it was not actually three players. It was Colin Sexton versus five guys. Yeah. And it and they I'm pretty sure they lost. They lost by seven. Yeah. Think about that. You're, game. you're playing three on five. And the Minnesota had an NBA player. I don't remember who they had. But Colin Sexton was on Alabama, and they were playing Minnesota. And they lost by seven. (laughs) Three on five. Do you realize how insane that is? God, I'm never going, like, I'm just never going to bet that guy's going to fail. He might fail, but I'm never going to bet on it. See, that's exactly exactly where I come from. Like, I kind of fell in love with them because, I mean, to, like, to fight through that, is and and I'm sure there's a ton of point guards that would love that opportunity to literally have no choice but to not pass anybody. 
Um, so I'm sure he enjoyed it, but I mean, for him to pull that off, just keeping them close was, was amazing. And, and, uh, I understand that I understand the concerns with him, but he's intense. Like his, you know, his body type is going to, is going to hurt him defensively because he's a small point guard, but like, he's, he's feisty, you know, like he's, he's going to try. He's not going to be one of these guys that just gives up kind of like Trey young. He's just like, Oh, I'm an offensive player or whatever. Like, I don't need to really do much here. He's never going to be one of those guys. So I respect that. Um, Garland. I just don't know enough about like, Neither I, do I. I, I really don't. It, you know, it's, I just, I can't really, I've seen the videos, but he didn't play much in college. So I don't know. Um, Isaac Okoro, we have both mentioned that we're not draft experts here. So who knows? I've heard his name before. He's possibly good, but that's really all I can offer there. So it's, it's going to be weird. I mean, like having Kevin Love and Andre Drummond is kind of like, I feel bad for them. I don't feel as bad for Andre Drummond because he's Andre Drummond, but Kevin Love, I mean, it's, it's tough. Like he's, he's the last one from those finals teams and he's stuck with this. Um, so I'm adding to the list of shots taken in this podcast by Dylan Hughes. So add Andre Drummond to the list along with the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, last note, because again, I really don't want to spend any time on the Cavaliers. Like I say that, but I truly, I do not want to talk about the Cavs much, but Sexton last year, surprisingly good shooting numbers, 21 points a game, 47% from the field, um, 38% from three on four attempts. Like that's not nothing. That's a solid foundation to work with. As I, he mostly played shooting guard, right? And I think he's going to be a, a small shooting guard. But, I mean, that level of, like, determination. I mean, as a second-year player playing in Cleveland on a shitty Cleveland team, four free throw attempts, that's a, that's a solid foundation to build off of. I feel like he's going to be a really good player for the years to come. And I think – because he's not – I think we can both agree. He's not going to be in Cleveland his whole career. <laughs> There's no way he's in Cleveland his whole career. Whoever gets him after this Cleveland contract, I think is going to be incredibly happy with what they get in young Sexton. But let's move on to, I would say the worst team in basketball, the worst, like the second worst team. No, Oklahoma city is going to be better than they are. (laughs) It's going to be close, but the Detroit Pistons, and I'm not going to bother reading you a projected rotation because they're tanking. So who gives a fuck, right? They're, they're very blatantly tanking. I, so I did the notes app, right? For the rotations. I just put a white flag <laughs> in their rotation because there's, there's no point. They're not going to try. So Dylan Hughes, ceiling and floor for the Pistons. This, this one should be obvious. I mean, yeah, I, these bottom three teams, I'm just giving them, giving them the upside of the 13th seed because they're all so bad. It's like, who cares? And obviously the floor is the 15th seed. So I'm practicing self-restraint here because I could easily talk 15 minutes about this roster, even though I've already done it um, in our last pod. But, I mean, like Blake Griffin is your only shot at getting wins, really. Like, and the fact that Jeremy Grant is the small forward, I just don't know. And maybe maybe it doesn't end up like that. It probably does. And even more... Um, mind-numbing is the fact that DeLon Wright is a starting shooting guard. I just – I don't know. It's going to be bad. It's 
It's not. It's just not worth the time. It really isn't. No, it's it's not. We you already lambasted them for the moves in the off season pod. Um, they are going to be really bad. <laughs> My ceiling for them is 14th. The floor is 15th. They are not going to be. A, they are going to finish 15th. This is the worst team in basketball. I'm I'm willing to put my money on that. This is the worst team in the league. I thought they were the worst. You you and I talked about this last year. I thought they were the they were the worst team last year. <laughs> They're gonna be even worse this year because their roster doesn't make any fucking sense. Now it makes sense when you look at that uh, Cade Cunningham kid out of Oklahoma State, or you look at the um, Mobley kid. I don't know all the draft prospects coming into this class, right? But this draft class is loaded, so. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you can guarantee yourself a top five pick, you you got to do it. So I'm not faulting the Pistons for being absolutely terrible. Um, a team that's close to your heart and is close to my uh, close to my current location, the Indiana Pacers. <laughs> so the Pacers rotation is startlingly similar to last year. So I have Brogdon, Oladipo, TJ Warren, Miles Turner, Sabonis, the Holidays. McConnell, McDermott, and when he comes back, Jeremy Lamb. Um, Dylan Hughes, Indiana Pacers ceiling and floor. So ceiling is the four, but I will say that that is unlikely. Um, again, this is this is this is like the Victor Aldipo. He puts on his I love Indiana shirt. He says, Okay, I'm back to 2017 Vic. I never got hurt. We're shooting 40% from three, and that's what it is. That That is the upside, but I think the odds of that are pretty low. Um, so the floor is seven, and I think they probably find themselves somewhere in the middle of those numbers because that's just how it happens. They're just a, fi- a fifth or sixth seed every year, basically, and I think it's probably going to be like that for a while. Um, I mean, like the starting unit's good. It's, I mean, we have, we still haven't seen Brogdon and All Depot play together a ton. Like, I mean, we've seen it, but Vic work, was working his way back. I don't think it was a great look. Um, Sabonis, who's coming off an injury in the bubble, like, or before the bubble, the foot thing. So hopefully he's okay. Cause that, I mean, as we saw in the playoffs, like, if he's out, it's over. I, I don't think there's a question that he's their best player. Like, not even a question. He's their best player. And if he's out, everything crumbles. Doug McDermott is useless. Miles Turner is not in a viable role. TJ Warren may benefit from it because he gets a lot more shots, apparently. Yeah. But still, I mean, having a – and we talk about Sabonis a lot. Having a guy that's an awesome passer and sets awesome screens and is a great rebounder, it just makes life – easier for everyone, especially shooters and cutters. And the Pacers have a good amount of all those. Um, I think, I think this may become the Aaron holiday season. I don't know. I I think he's, he's shown good, really good um, stints. And I think uh, this year, maybe he's going to, you know, the McConnell thing is interesting because McConnell was starting over him or not starting over him. He was playing above him last year. And it looked bad early on, but McConnell ended up being really important for them. Yeah. And and they ended up playing Aaron Holiday more, but you know, it's gonna be hard to make room for both of them because Jeremy Lamb, it looks like he's only gonna miss a few weeks somehow. That's crazy. Like I saw that he's coming back in mid-January. It's like, really? Like I, I was thinking he's probably gonna miss the first half of the season, but 
I, I don't know. So somehow that's happening. Um, Justin Holiday, who I was happy they resigned, but I kind of worry that he's going to – because if you really look at his career numbers, this past season was an outlier season. Like he, he has never shot that consistently from three, and he was bad shooting in the playoffs without Sabonis. I, again, I think Sabonis helped his shot a lot. Um, the defense, I mean, defense rarely fades. So like, he'll be good there, but, uh, you know, again, like it's, it's not a different team than last year. So I think they're pretty much middle of the pack in the East. Yes. I had the exact same ceiling and floor. Um, this team's defense, is it ever going to be bad? I mean, Dan Burke leaving, <laughs> we don't know how it's going to be. Right. Cause Dan Burke has been the assistant there for the last however many years, <laughs> And actually, that's funny because now he's in Philadelphia. <laughs> Maybe their defense will get short up. Um, that being said, I just can't see them finishing worse than seventh, right? This is always – Indiana Pacers are always one of the worst-looking teams on paper in the league, <laughs> right? This happens every single season. Every single season, everyone's like, oh, the Pacers suck. Oh, the Pacers suck. And what happens? They finish fifth, right? Now, is it great? No. But are they ever bad? No. I don't remember, like, other than 2015 when Paul George suffered a horrific injury in a uh, preseason scrimmage, (laughs) I don't remember a time where the Pacers have really sucked in the last, like, 10 years. It just doesn't come to mind much. Like, even the year that they weren't good in 2011, they still made the playoffs. So, I can't see them finishing worse than than seventh, right? Just because they're... They're still going to be an amazing defense, I think. Even with, you know, the defensive coach changes. Um, Bjorkren, I'm really intrigued to see what he does. Because he was Nurse's right-hand man. And this is a very Nick Nurse, pro-Nick Nurse podcast. So I'm intrigued to see what he does with them. I'm curious to see. TJ Warren playing a lot more four is something I want to see. Because he... I don't think he'll put up bubble numbers again, right? But I do think that he could put up, like... He's in a, a crazy efficient scorer, and I could see him thriving under Bjorkren. So, I don't know. I see another fifth seed and another first round exit, but I think that there will actually be signs of something to be improved upon this year as opposed to the years under Nate when it was just like the treadmill of mediocrity. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, and see, the the Bjorkren thing is interesting because, like, I don't know much about him, but him coming from Toronto makes me optimistic about it um, because, again, Nick Nurse is awesome, and, like, it didn't, it didn't take him long to show how awesome he was. And, you know, having Kawhi makes that pretty easy, but, I mean, I think last year they were they were as good as they could have been. So, you know. And what happens in Toronto is going to be interesting this year. Obviously, we'll get to them coming up. But, uh, yeah, the Dan Burke loss is tough. Like, I, I kind of forgot about that. But, I mean, like, I think he's literally been with the Pacers for as long as I've been alive or, like, close to it. So, I I really never thought I'd see this day. Or I thought I'd be, like, telling my kids, oh, wow, Dan Burke just died. He's been with the Pacers since I was, like, a baby. <laughs> like, I thought right. that that day was going to happen. And the fact that it didn't makes me sad. But – you know, it. I, I'm hoping that a lot of that, a lot of the defensive stuff that he brought with him, kind of stays. Uh, but I don't know. It's a whole new coaching staff. Like there very well could be uh, some new, 
some new style that comes in and maybe the new style is better, you know, it's possible, but we'll have to see. Maybe we'll finally see the Miles Turner breakout. Maybe the problem was Nate McMillan all along and maybe, you know, maybe we'll see that. But I thought what he did with Sabonis last year, like I didn't think that was unmodern what McMillan did last year. I kind of thought he got an unfair shake because they lost to a superior, like to the finals team <laughs> in the first round. But I don't know. Speaking of the finals team, <laughs> just a random them chance for a transition. Cause we're, we're running a little longer than I wanted to, but that's okay. The Miami heat, they made the finals last year, their last game, or they'll, it'll have been 72 days between their, the end of the last season and the beginning of the new season. Um, so the, the rotation is pretty much similar with a couple new additions. So I have Drogic, Duncan Robinson, James, my name is literally Jimmy Butler, <laughs> Myers Leonard, who I don't know if he's going to start, but I have to assume he will. Bam, Harkless, Bradley, Hero, and Olenek. So on Dylan. Ceiling and floor for the Miami Heat. So this is pretty tight, too. I have the ceiling at three and the floor at five. Like, here's my main concern. So last season, you looked at this. It was like the same thing as it is right now, really. You look at that four spot, and you're like, huh, that's not good. But they figured it out by trading for Jay Crowder. Are they going to trade for Jay Crowder again this season? I don't think so. I don't think the Suns want to give him up. <laughs> yeah, I think the Suns are happy with Jay Crowder. So that's what worries me because, you know, you know, the last time I saw My- Myers Leonard, he was very passionately cheering on the sideline for the entire playoffs. And if that guy is your starting four now, I'm worried. And, and okay, let's say it's not him. Are we going to put Maurice Har- Harkless in there who is good – like he was a starting four at one point on playoff teams, but do you want him starting? No. Do you want Kelly Olenek starting? No. Do you want to somehow get Avery Bradley in there? I don't think so. And really at that point, you like, you're just out of options. So unless, unless uh, Iggy is feeling like he's ready for that role, which I don't think he is. I think he's, I think his mind is in Austin, Texas, and uh, on the tech investments he's got. I think that's where his mind is now. I totally <laughs> forgot that Iggy was on this roster. <laughs> and that, that's exactly the problem. Like, they made the Andre Iguodala trade, and it was really the Jay Crowder trade. And yeah. we talked about Jay Crowder a ton, but, like, that dude was incredibly important for their run. Like, if he wasn't hitting as many threes as he hit, they, don't they would the not finals. have made the finals. No. They would have made. They would have at least lost. Well, they probably would have beat the Bucks still, but they would have lost to the Celtics. Oh yeah, because I mean he was he was very important to their run. So I don't know. Like if if they really just have this revolving door at four again, despite having Butler and Bam and Tyler Hero and Drogic, I just I, I don't think uh, I don't think they're a top tier team in the East, and they're definitely in that second tier because their defense is going to be awesome nonetheless. But uh, I mean, for them to get to that next level, they really got to find someone more reliable to four. It's funny because if you just look at it from like a strict lens of like actual roster capability, their defense probably got better. 
right? Because Bradley over none is a huge upgrade. Um, Harkless over whoever the fuck they were playing behind him <laughs> is a huge upgrade. But the problem is Crowder, right? Crowder's overrated shooting for sure. And he caught fire yeah. in the playoffs. But he is not overrated on defense. Like as a power forward, I want Crowder, right? The reason the Grizzlies were a playoff team in the first half of last season was because of Jay Crowder. You can't convince me otherwise because they fell apart after they trade after the Jay Crowder trade. They just did. So they're going to miss Crowder and I can't see them getting back to the finals. I had their ceiling at two and their floor at six. I could see it really being high variance, right? Because they could just not take the regular season as seriously, right? You know, a lot of load management. Um, Cause like we said, this team played less than three months ago, like between their, between the end of the last season and the beginning of the next season. So it's going to be a quick turnaround. I could see a lot of rest for them. Um, I don't know if Bam's hundred percent recovered, <laughs> you know, trusting Dragic on defense is always a risky proposition. <laughs> Um, if Tyler Hero makes a leap, I think everything that we're saying is moot. But I don't think he's ready to make a leap yet. And I think a leap for Tyler Hero would maybe constitute 18 points a game. So I can't I can't really see that happening this year. I think he's good. I mean, we both lo- I mean, you're you're the number one member of the Tyler Hero fan club. Hero and Herder. Those are your those are your two favorite players. So I, th- I think that's been well established, but in all seriousness, I can't see like I just can't see the Heat getting the first seed because now that traveling's a thing again, they were terrible. They were they were almost as bad as the Sixers were on the road last year, and everyone's like, "Oh, the Sixers are terrible on the road. The Sixers are terrible on the road." One thing that I think really helped the Heat that nobody really talked about was the lack of home court advantage, because I can't see them going into Milwaukee like into Milwaukee and winning those first two games like that. That just probably doesn't happen because that's like, it's really hard to do home court advantage is a real thing. (laughs) And I think that that's going to really hinder them this season, the more games against the West two seed is probably a pipe dream. I think four seed is probably realistic for the heat. Yeah. I forgot about their road performance. I mean, it was, it was bad. And like, Again, we've talked about this, but I don't think they make the finals in a normal season. Like, the, they majorly benefited from the bubble because they didn't have to travel at all. And, like, you know, you say, oh, well, that helps everyone. But when you are horrible on the road, it's obviously going to help you more than anything. You don't have to change your location at all. So, and I, I hate to say it's a, it's a fluke. But it's just odd for a good team to be that bad on the road. Like, I could see it with Philly because Philly's just weird. Like, they're just – they don't make sense to me ever, even if they – like, they're a good team, undoubtedly. But they're just weird. So, like, it doesn't shock me that they're bad on the road. The Heat didn't make sense to me, especially because they had a good defense. Like, good – like, defense is supposed to be what travels. So, you think you'd win some games that way, but I don't know. Um I probably would say that it's, it's not going to be the same way this season. I mean, they may still be not good on the road, but I don't think they'll be as bad as they were. But either way, I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely some holes. Like, the Drogic, like, Drogic I worry about a bit. I think the season he just came off, 
I don't see that happening again. And they they needed him again. They need he was another player they really needed to hit shots. So it really falls on on Hero, Bam, and Jimmy. And that's a pretty decent trio to rely on, but it's you know, it, it still may not make you a top two or three team in the East. Yeah, I just don't think that they're they're good, right? But I think in terms of talent, they were probably the fifth most talented team in the East last year. Like just based strictly off of talent, right? And what was crazy was in the regular season, Bam and Jimmy, right, were both all defense contenders. I don't remember if they both made it. But the rest of the team in the regular season fucking sucked on defense. And that's why Crowder really helped them because Crowder shored up the defense in a way that you just – nobody anticipated, right? Nobody anticipated their – because their defense, I think, was 16th in the regular season, if my memory serves. And it's just like most teams that are 16th in the regular season in defense don't make the playoffs or don't make the finals, excuse me. They, that's just really hard. The only exceptions are like the LeBron James Cavaliers, the second edition. <laughs> <laughs> and that's because those teams literally had one of the best offenses of all time. Again, this is the second time we're bringing that up, but it's it's a poignant point because the Heat, to me, they had a really hot start to the season last year, right? But like, they could have, like, they came out of the gate really hot, and then they just kind of fizzled after, I want to say, January. And so their season was really weird. Nobody's talking about that much because they obviously had an incredible end of the season. But I think that their regular season this year is probably going to be weird again. I think that that's my official prediction for this, for the Heat, is that they're going to be weird. I I could see them legitimately finishing second or sixth. I think both of those are equally, equally at play. But in the interest of time, let's move on to one of one of the more interesting teams of the offseason, the Milwaukee Bucks. They're, so their starting lineup looks like it's going to be Drew Holiday, Dante DiVincenzo, Chris Middleton, Giannis, Brooke Lopez, Augustine, Bryn Forbes, Torrey Craig, Bobby Portis, and Pat Connaughton is their, rounds out their rotation. So Dylan, ceiling and floor for the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> So, I mean, this is the one seed. Like, it's pretty easy. The Obviously, like, their floor is two just in case that Nets one seed hits, like the upside for the Nets hits. That's that's really the only challenge, in my opinion. Um, see, I, I don't want to skip over the regular season because that's what this is about. But, like, you know, I mean, it's just – it's, it's going to be – they have really, like – Talent matters more in regular season than it does in the playoffs. Like the playoffs, you start to look at the fit concerns. And I don't know, like I kind of worry about Drew Holiday and Giannis playing together because Drew Holiday is not a good shooter. And it doesn't matter how hard he tries, he doesn't make shots. <laughs> and he continues to shoot them, which I mean, even, even in that really good season with New Orleans where they beat the Trailblazers like handedly, Obviously, Drew Holiday was awesome in that series, mostly defensively. But, I mean, even in that season, like, his – he was just clanking too many threes. And I just worry about that because, you know, 
Chris Middleton and Giannis are both going to get the ball a ton. So what does Drew Holiday become? I mean, we were talking about Karis LeVert earlier as the third option. No one likes to be the third option, right? So what is Drew Holiday going to do? Is he going to be... Is he going to be this this Marcus Smart type of guy where he's just awesome defensively and he gets he gets his shots when they need him to shoot and that's it? You know, I don't know. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe he's fine with that. Um, but you know, if if it becomes a problem where where Drew Holiday wants the ball more, I think that could be that could be problematic for them. And, and again, it may not really matter until the playoffs. Um, cause again, talent reigns supreme in the, in the regular season. And I mean, who the hell cares who's hitting shots because they have Giannis on their team. Like that's really what matters. Um, but that, that part of it, I'm concerned about their bench is pretty good. Like Augustine and Bryn Forbes. I really like those additions. I, I think Bryn Forbes is pretty underrated. I mean, he, he's a San Antonio guy. Like those guys, are the only San Antonio guy that I haven't liked is Gary Neal. Like Gary Neal was just an asshole. Okay. <laughs> Adding him th- to the list. <laughs> I don't think anybody liked Gary Neal. If you really, if you go and ask people on the league, did you like Gary Neal? They're like, hell no, we didn't like Gary Neal. That's what you're going to get. <laughs> what back. the hell did Gary Neal do? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I think there were some stories about Gary Neal that, that I will research after this because I recall, but I mean, he went to, uh, was it Minnesota after or something like that? Yeah, he sucked after he left the Spurs. Yeah. Like, come on. You had you had the blessing of playing for the Spurs. You take that with you and you be prideful about this, okay? You don't you don't suck. You just don't you cannot suck. You had Popovich coaching you. It is impossible to suck. He sucked. He was horrible. He abandoned everything he learned in San Antonio. He said, I didn't need that shit. I didn't care if I was on championship teams. I didn't need that. He sucked. He played for horrible teams and he sucked. I'm pretty sure he went to Charlotte at some point. Sucked. Okay, so like, Milwaukee, Charlotte. Um, who's CH? Oh, that's the Hornets. Okay, so Milwaukee, Charlotte, um, Minnesota, Washington, Atlanta. That's how that's how Mr. Neal finished yeah, his career. Look at that. <laughs> I mean, well, he's he, goes, he, goes from the, he goes from the Spurs to four of the worst teams in the past 20 years says a lot. I mean, Atlanta, he only played two games for them that year. Um, Washington made the playoffs that year. I'm pretty sure. Um, okay. Good for them. Um, listen, I'm not denying anything you're saying because he left the Spurs and they replaced him with Patty Mills and they won a championship. <laughs> um, does that mean Gary Neal was the weak link? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think he was the weak link. No, no. The, the problem was not him with the Spurs. It was him after the Spurs because he he gets an attitude. I don't need the damn Spurs. I made the Spurs. He goes to horrible teams and sucks. Okay, that's all you need to know about Gary Neal. Let's see. Let's see. Real quick. Gary Neal, 2013 finals. Not bad. 9.4 points per game. 46% from three on 24 minutes a game. It's pretty good for a 2013 role player, I would say. Yep. And then he wasted it. He wasted it. <laughs> he was 28 it. years old. <laughs> was in 2013. Ask anybody. No one likes Gary Neal. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Hold on. I, I'm going to text someone. <laughs> um, this was a really random um, shot at Gary Neal. I, I'm, hold on. I'll ask our resident Spurs fan, J.D. Hall. 
<laughs> Do you like Gary Neal? Um, it's riveting podcasting. <laughs> um, I don't know where the fuck to go from here. So you're bashing the holiday shooting. You're bashing Gary Neal. Um, so I do think Drew Holiday shooting is a concern, um, but I think he's going to be a really good distributor for them, right? And that's going to be something that, like, Bledsoe, it's just an immediate upgrade over Bledsoe, right? And Bledsoe got his numbers in the regular season. I don't see any reason why Drew can't fill that role exactly. Now, if they got Drew and Bogdan, that would have been a tricky fit because – yeah. I don't know how they would have made all those. Like that's way too many cooks in the kitchen because Middleton needs to dribble. Um, Middleton needs to dribble. Giannis needs to dribble. It's Eric Bledsoe's birthday today. Happy birthday, Eric. Um, you suck. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I mean, Eric Bledsoe averaged 18, then 16, then 15 points a game. I think Drew could probably average 17 points a game. And that's like right around what he averages anyway. If he gives you 17 and seven with elite defense, I don't think the shooting matters that much. I really don't because teams for some reason are still guarding Brooke Lopez at the three point line. They'll start another shooter. And I think Torrey Craig low key. I, I love that pickup for them. I thought Torrey Craig was a little overused in Denver. I don't think he will be overused in Milwaukee. Mm. I think they'll use him just the right amount. And something that, we learned in the bubble, right? Especially in the first round against Utah. There is such a thing as too much Tory Craig. And Denver found that out the hard way and went down 3-1 to the Jazz. And then after that, you did not see as much Tory Craig. You still saw him, but like he can't really do much outside of 20 minutes a game. And I think that's what they'll ask him to do, which is going to be great for him. Because you have other wing options there, right? Like if Dante takes another step forward. Um, I just like the team. I think first seed is right. I mean, obviously, the playoff questions are are what's more prevalent about this team, and obviously, the massive will Giannis sign the supermax. <laughs> that's that's kind of the most pressing thing about this team. But we don't we don't get into that here at the running hook. We don't we don't give a shit about that. So, I mean, this team to me is just going to roll through the regular season, and I hope that they can make adjustments in the playoffs. I just don't think Bud will. I think Bud was the wrong coach for the team. And Bud was super hyped because of what he did in Atlanta, but he never made adjustments. You can't win in the playoffs if you don't make adjustments. Like, people shit on Ty Lue all the time. That man made so many adjustments in the finals. And you have to, like, that's the key. That's why they won in 2016, because of the adjustments he made. Right? And obviously LeBron played like a legend, but there was a lot of different factors, but they don't win without Ty Lue. They don't win that 2016 finals with David Blatt. They don't win that 2016 finals with Budenholzer. So their issues are the same. It's another day for Milwaukee, but let's move on to one of the other three worst teams in the league, the New York Knicks. Shout out our friend, Jacob Keith. This was also a team. I put the white flag up for because I couldn't figure out who the fuck they were going to play. This is going to be a disaster of a team. They are going to give up so many points. Um, Obi Toppin is going to play a lot. And Julius Randle, your boy Julius Randle, don't even talk about him because I don't. we don't need you taking more pot shots at people. Um, I'm guessing ceiling and floor is 13th and 15th. Yep, they fall into that. So, again, for time, I can't talk about the Knicks, but – Having Alfred Payne and Julius Randle on the same team is – and I I believe this is the second time it's happened, actually. Did they play together in New Orleans? 
They how, maybe did. How? If that happened, how? How did Adam Silver allow this to happen? <laughs> this is – if you're going to make the Sixers fire Sam Hinkie, you cannot let Alfred Payton and Julius Randle play on the same team potentially twice. And at the very least, this is the second year in a row. This is exactly what I didn't want to happen. This this is exactly what I, I did not want to happen. Let's see. Let's see. Alfred Payton. Yes, they did play together in New Orleans. God damn. Why would you want to run that back that duo? Um, hopefully, RJ Barrett can develop into something. Obi Toppin at eight was probably not the right pick. But at the same time, go for the high. When you're the Knicks, just fuck it, right? Draft whoever. You always have the eighth pick somehow. Eighth or ninth. Um. And know, see, man. you know, that's that's where the upside comes in for the Knicks is that they seem to mess up getting a top three pick every year. That that alone makes me believe they're going to be maybe even better than the 13th seed because they're so bad at losing that they lose out of having one of the best players in the draft every year. I mean, Kevin Knox doesn't do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm trying to save you time here. If you keep throwing names at me, this is going to be a problem for everybody. All right. All right. Let's move on to a team that I legitimately hate. The Orlando Magic. Now, the Magic are a loathsome bunch. Okay. So their starting lineup appears to be Markel Fultz, Evan Fournier. Remember, Jonathan Isaac tore his or tore his ACL in the bubble, if I'm not mistaken. He tore something in his knee. So he's out. James Ennis, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Vucevic, Terrence Ross, Cole Anthony, Al Farouk Aminu, Ken Birch, and Michael Carter-Williams. Um, Dylan, <laughs> ceiling and floor for the Orlando Magic. You know, I'm sure I'm going to change this at some point because I, like you, hate the Magic. But my ceiling for them is 8 and my floor is 12. So, again, I'm trying to contain myself here because – I don't know where all this rage has come out. This has been a real angry podcast from you. (laughs) And, you know, I've been in a great mood the past week. So I think I just had to be negative for one one little two-hour session. It just happened to be the time you were talking in public. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Hey, if if I'm negative for two hours a week and those two hours are on this podcast – I'm okay with that. It's great content. So yeah, you know, you got to do what sells, I guess, because we're obviously selling a ton here. Um, But having Cole Anthony on an NBA roster right now is bothering me. Like he sucks. Okay. I I don't care. And you know how I know he sucks because I told Caleb who actually knows stuff about college. Hey, I think Cole Anthony sucks. And he said, yeah, he sucks. That's all I needed. I didn't have to see much from him. I look at his stats. It says 38% from the floor. He sucks. You could you could get any high school kid in the world to shoot 38% in college. Like, maybe not literally any, but there's a lot. Like, shooting 38% from the floor in college is not hard. And I don't care if he's the son of a former NBA player. I just don't. He sucks. And I hope he doesn't play much, and he probably won't because MCW is good somehow on the magic and shout out to MCW because the fact that he's still in the league is actually pretty impressive. He's, he's figured it out. He, after all these years in the league, he finally learned how to play man defense. Don't ever draft anyone from Syracuse. (laughs) Yeah. It'll take them this long to be good defensive players. 
Yeah, Jim Beheim, just just bow out. Like I know, I know that his job is not to send players to the NBA, but good lord, it's been bad lately. Like, uh, shout out to Dion Waiters. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, James Ennis is on this team. Like, come uh, on. It, you know, I will say I do like Chumo Okiki, who missed his rookie season last year. He was a good power forward for Auburn. I think he's good. Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe with Isaac being out, he'll be able to play. I like Okiki, and I hope he's able to play because I think he's going to be good. Um, but again, like the the where does the offense come from? I mean, you got Vucevic, um, Aaron Gordon every other game, and Marco Fultz, man. He'll give you a solid 11 points a game for sure. And don't forget I, about the six assists. The six assists are good. I mean, I like Fultz. Like, I'm happy that he's not as bad as he was in Philly. Um, and I think he still has some room to grow. But, you know, I just can't trust him. And also shout out to Terrence Ross. They probably should trade him. Probably. Terrence um, Ross is the most, like, respected 35% shooter in the, the league. You know, I hated him in Toronto because I thought he was so overrated. Like he he's gotten a lot better since he came to Orlando, I think. He he's gotten more consistent. Um in Toronto, he just was very inconsistent and you know, bench shooters, what can you expect? I mean, we were just talking about J.R. Smith and Marcus Smart earlier like not that Marcus Smart's a bench shooter, but I mean, these guys, you know, they are inconsistent just how it is. But you know, he should be traded because they're going to suck and they're going to have a good shot at a good draft pick next year. Yeah. I, my ceiling for them was ninth and the floor was 13th. I think the bulls could maybe jump them. I think Orlando fucking sucks. I, yep. they need to trade Vooch. I don't know to whom, <laughs> but Vooch needs to get out of there, man. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Cause he's really good. <laughs> he's really like, I'm not willing to say he's a top 30 player. I'm willing to say he's top 35 and somebody needs a top 35 player. I mean, honestly, you put him on the Spurs right now, they'd be better off than with LaMarcus Aldridge. Oh yeah. I think that that's not a controversial take. You put him in like, that would be a good piece for like a young rebuilding team to try and nab and try to, you know, good veteran presence who will keep them competitive. Right. Like who will keep them competitive in games and just have the rest of the roster suck around them? Just get them the fuck out of Orlando. You know, Aaron Gordon, he's not going to be what he's he. You know, he's going to leave Orlando and become Draymond Green. Like we, everyone knows that's going to happen. The second he leaves Orlando, he's going to become fucking Draymond Green. So Orlando is fucking cursed. Now Victor Oladipo, we you and I have our uh, our qualms about Victor Oladipo. We kind of maybe agree that that was a fluke, but still, he was a lot better than when he was in Orlando. Um, Tobias Harris <laughs> a lot better than when he was in Orlando just a lot of different guys leave fucking Orlando and they get a lot better and I uh, just go just lose 100 games and just get a top fucking pick this year Orlando but you're not going to do that because you Orlando is the definition of treadmill of mediocrity like they just love the 8th seed <laughs> like why <laughs> Why do you love the eighth seed so much? I don't know. You, know. you know what they live for? They live for getting that game one victory. They live for it. And and they, they can say – they can write in their papers the Orlando Sentinel. They, they get every single year. They say, hey, guys, look. We beat the Raptors. We beat the Nets game one. I, I think we might do it this year. And then they just get – 
railroaded the next four games, but they live for that game one victory. You know they're going to be in the playing tournament as a lower seed. They're going to win a game, and they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, guys, we have a chance. We have a chance to make the playoffs, and they're going to lose the second game. They're going to lose the second game because they fucking suck. They fucking suck. They don't even have DJ Augustine this year. DJ Augustine is a major loss for them. Jesus Christ, you know how bad you have to be for DJ Augustine to be a major loss for you? Like, we both like DJ Augustine. (laughs) But that man was a significant loss for your team. The man is in his early 30s. He's like a point guard who's been around forever. He should not be a major loss for you. But because your team is so reliant, oh, God. I'm not going to say I'm sick of Steve Clifford. (laughs) Because Steve Clifford is a good coach. But Steve Clifford will never coach a great team. He's just – he's not allowed to, apparently. He's not allowed to coach any team that's not going to be incredibly mediocre. But let's – instead of me ranting, let's go ahead and move on to the next team. Because we only have three teams left, amazingly. The Philadelphia 76ers. Their rotation is looking to be so Ben Simmons at the one. Um, you got Danny Green at the two. <laughs> hold on, hold on, real quick update. I texted our friend Caleb Lynn, <laughs> Do you like Gary Neal? And I got back as a response Neal is a joke. You are validated, <laughs> sir. <laughs> you, you have been validated. <laughs> Caleb Lynn, I love you, my guy. I love you. I will, I will let you know if JD responds. Um, where was I? Danny Green at the two. Tybal looks like he might be starting at three, Harris at the four, and beat at the five. And then off the bench, you got Seth Curry, Shake Milton, Mike Scott still somehow, and mm. Dwight Howard. Um, Dylan, what do you have as the 76ers ceiling and floor? So I basically went with where they kept going between last year, which was a ceiling of three and a floor of six. I mean, they like. The top six seeds in the East like kind of went back and forth throughout the last season, and the Sixers especially. It's like one day you think they're gonna be, you know, give Milwaukee maybe a run at the first seed before Milwaukee got a huge lead on the second team. But you know, early on you're like, okay, you know, maybe the Sixers got this, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, the Sixers can't freaking win a road game, and they end up falling to the sixth seed. So you know, this is a different team, like. We talked about Josh Richardson already, and I just – I still don't like the trade. I mean, again, like they didn't lose the trade because getting Seth Curry is good. Seth Curry is a good player. I've liked Seth Curry for a long time now. He is good, and he fits that team. But I still think putting Josh Richardson on the bench would have been fine. Like I I just don't think they needed to make that trade. So that still bothers me a little bit. Um if Danny Green and Matisse Thibel start, I think they're screwed. Like that that's just reeks of a combined two of nine shooting for me. Like I've I think I've bashed Danny Green more than any person on earth up to this point. <laughs> but I just don't think he's good on like on offense. I don't think he's good anymore. His shooting is not good. It's just not. And it can be good, but you can't rely on that. And they're going to rely on it. I know they are. So I just, I worry about that. And having Dwight Howard and Joel Embiid on the same team is something I just realized. And that has potential for some, some, for some fireworks right there. 
It, it could be bad. Um, for my ceiling, I had them at first. I think that there's a slim chance they could. I mean, listen, those two guys are still two of the most talented guys in the conference. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a it's a small chance, but I think they could finish first. And then the floor is seventh. You just can't get me to trust the 76ers. I think it's more likely they finish somewhere in the middle of those, right? Like four or five. Yep. Man. <laughs> the team makes a lot more sense this year, I'll say. But yeah. the wing depth leaves a lot to be desired. Um, unless you're planning to play Simmons a lot at the three, which doesn't make sense because the three is a perimeter position. And that's just what it's relegated to anymore. Tobias Harris is in a three. You play him at three. You saw last year it was an unmitigated disaster. Um, Richardson off the bench probably would have been smarter than trading for Seth Curry. I do agree with that. However, I understand the fit. It seems like Daryl and Elton Brand are going for more basketball fit than just names this year, right? And I understand, you know, you're getting rid of Jimmy Butler. You have an opportunity to sign and trade, you know, get something back for him, whatever. I, I understand the Josh Richardson element of it. I'm not going to hate on that for, for Philadelphia. But the Al Horford signing totally torpedoed their team last year. And to get Danny Green for him, I think that's about as good as you were going to be able to do. Maybe Buddy healed, but um, Joe Dumars, while I do not think highly of him, is probably not that stupid. <laughs> so I think that they probably did about as well as they could in terms of Horford. Richardson, again, disagree, but I think Curry will fit really well there. I think there's a lot of possibilities with Curry and Simmons and Embiid, right? You stagger, like, both of those guys, and you play Curry with both of them. I think there's a lot of dynamic possibilities there. Um, This is highly unlikely, but I I feel like I have to mention there's a possibility they trade one of those stars for Harden, (laughs) and this completely goes out the window. I -hmm. feel like they're the most logical Harden team. I don't care what anybody says. I mean... I would trade one of those, either of those two for Harden. No, like no stop about it. I trade Embiid over Simmons for me. Yeah. Like, because, you know, he, Embiid gets to continue the great Houston tradition of big men while Harden and Simmons <laughs> run into the future. But, man, the Sixers to me, I think, are going to be a lot more interesting, a lot more fun to watch than they were last year because the Sixers weren't fun to watch last year. It was just a mess. It was just a mess, and it was sad watching Al Horford suck. Um, real quick prediction that I'm not going to make on the Western Conference. I'm going to make on this one. Someone's big trade deadline acquisition is going to be Al Horford. That's going to be someone's big trade deadline acquisition because he's going to bounce back in Oklahoma City, and they're going to be like, hey, let's let's give them a 2025 heavily protected first-round pick, <laughs> right? That's gonna, that's gonna, I feel like that's going to happen, but... In all seriousness, the Sixers are really high variance, and I think that there's a lot of different ways that you could go with the Sixers team. Yeah. I mean, I could see it working out, but I just I just struggle. And, like, I mean, first of all, like, the Danny Green and Matisse Thibel, like, it probably won't stay that way. I mean, I think there's a legitimate chance that Shake Milton starts at some point. Because I think I think Shake Milton is really good with Simmons from what I've seen. Like, like he he's a great combo guard. Like he's a guy that could easily play with someone like that. So and he's also not a bad defender. Like he, you're not losing 
I mean, obviously Danny Green's a great defender, so or if it's Thibel, either one of those guys is a very good perimeter defender. Shake Millen is not bad. If you're gonna put Seth Curry in there, that's a different story, but you know, either way, having being able to push Corkmaz back in the rotation is is good for them, I think. He's not horrible, but I just He's like he, eighth man at absolute best. Yeah. And and last year, some of their depth, they just needed him to play more than he should have. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I think the Harden part's interesting, and, and we can't talk about that because it's just it's just speculation at this point. But I mean, you know, I've been thinking about Simmons for Harden this whole time, but Embiid for Harden is interesting because I think Simmons could play well. <laughs> See the problem with Simmons is that he's he's he would be good in more of a big man position, but he's also very good at the ball. He's just not a good shooter. That's the problem. So being able to figure out his style of play that suits him best without having um, a jump shot, you know, that's something that's going to take a long time to figure out, probably. But yeah, I mean that the Harden part is interesting, and again, we'll have to see what happens. It. To me, it seems like Harden's getting traded. Like, I know it's easy to say that, but the reports that have come out of Houston so far are not great. And I cannot see him wanting to play with John Wall. I just can't. Yeah, it's rough. Um, Everything about this is rough. Um, Yeah, the Sixers are going to be a fascinating team to watch. Let's move on to the Toronto Raptors. So this rotation is fascinating because it was really fucking hard to do. Um, (laughs) So Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, OG and Pascal are the same from last year, but you replace Gasol with Baines. um, And then you maybe have Terrence Davis. He is going through some legal trouble that I'm not going to comment on because again, that stuff can be tricky. So I'm just going to avoid it and act like he's on the team, but there's a chance that he's not Um, Norm Powell. Chris Boucher, and someone I thought was interesting, he was bad on the Hawks, but I think he could be good on the Raptors, is DeAndre Bembry. I think that he could be a good, like, steal for the Raptors and rehab his value there. So, Dylan, ceiling and floor for the Toronto Raptors. My Toronto Raptors. (laughs) So, I went with a ceiling of six and a floor of nine. Like, they just lost too much for them to be a serious contender in the East anymore. I mean... You know, you still have Lowry and Pascal. So, like, you have a good foundation. And I don't want to go to um, what have you done for me lately with Pascal because he was terrible in the playoffs. We know this. But I don't want to just go to that because his career has not always been as bad as it was. So, you know, and, and again, regular season is different than playoffs. So, I don't want to completely throw him away as like a bad player now because he's struggled lately. But, you know, getting Van Vliet re-signed kind of surprised me a little bit. But I guess when you lose everything else you have, you know, you might as well just keep the guys that you can. So the defense is going to be very good, I think. I mean, that's why I think their floor is nine. Because even if everything goes wrong, you're still going to have a good defense. At the very least, you can rely on that. Um, 
I mean, so you have OG, who OG is interesting. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he has some sort of a breakout this year. Because he's, he's shown flashes offensively. I still think he's far away from being, you know, a true creator. But, I mean, his, his three-point shot's pretty good. And his defense is obviously elite. So, you know, I think it, with a little bit uh, higher of a role now, he may have a mini breakout here. Um, Aaron Baines was incredibly good for the Suns while while Aiden was out last year. I mean, it was kind of funny. Like he started for the Suns and they were like awesome. And and then Aiden came back, who you just drafted first overall the year before. It's like, uh, what do we do here? Are we going to start this dude that's like a backup center perennially? Or do we start our first overall pick? And it was kind of funny how that worked out. Obviously, they ended up going back to Aiton, but Baines is like a solid center. Like, you know, going from Serge Ibaka to Baines is obviously not ideal, but it's not terrible at the same time. And Chris Boucher has been a guy I've really kind of fallen in love with a little bit. He just He's just one of those Raptors guys, you know, like that's all you can really say about it. He's a guy that that – uh, you know, they found just randomly and you don't know who the hell he is. And all of a sudden he's like a good player. I mean, he's a good shooter and they, I'm happy they ended up re-signing him. Um, the rest of the bench, who the hell knows? I like Norman Powell. Um, Malachi Flynn is apparently a person on this team. So he's probably good because they drafted him or whatever they did. They signed him. So shout out to Malachi Flynn. But, <laughs> you know, that's uh, – they also have Henry Ellenson. A, uh, I, be- I believe was a draft pick of the elite, or the elite Detroit Pistons. So very, very happy to hear that. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, limited upside, but also limited downside in this team. So I went a little higher for both of them. Okay. Cause, and I'll explain my reasoning in a second. I have the, the ceiling as third seed and I have the floor as the sixth seed because, and here's why. Okay. It's one reason. The reason is Kyle Lowry. Okay. Dylan, allow me, allow me a second. Okay. Indulge me if you will. Just, I'm going to read the win percentages of every season that Kyle Lowry has been there for a full season. So, okay. So, his first season there, they weren't great. It was 34 and 48, but you saw those early 2010s Raptors teams. They were shit, right? The very next year, 48 and 34, 49 and 33, 56 and 26, 51 and 31, 59 and 23, 58 and 24. Yes, they had Kawhi, but still. And then 53 and 19 last year. So, do I think <laughs> that they're as good as the 2019-20 edition? No. But do I think that they'll suck? Absolutely not. I think having Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam and OG and Fred Van Vliet, I think that guarantees you a certain baseline of competency that other like foursomes wouldn't give you, right? So I don't think that they'll suck. And I know a lot of people probably would think that they suck, right? Because, you know, oh, they don't have Abaka, They don't have... They don't have Gasol. I think I'd rather have Baines. <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, I think I'd rather have Baines than, than Gasol for sure. 
I'm not 100% sure about Ibaka, but you could talk me into it. And obviously the backup situation is worse, but we saw Chris Boucher last year. I think he could take a step up. So I don't think that they'll be, they're not going to be in the play-in game. I just don't think that they'll be that bad because they have that level of that level of baseline competency that the other teams just don't have. Like they have that, that that baseline because Kyle Lowry is that good. Right. And I know Kyle Lowry's getting up there in age, but he's still like relatively young because he didn't start playing this way until he was like 26. So I would give him a couple more years before he falls off a cliff like that. And then Pascal is a great regular season player, not a great playoff player when teams can sit on his spin move, (laughs) but great regular season player. So I just, I don't see any way they finish worse than sixth. I just really don't. Yeah. I mean, the nurse and the Lowry factor, maybe I'm underrating a bit. Um, I just, and you know, I didn't see them as a second seed last season. So, you know, maybe I'm just not giving them enough credit, but I don't know. They didn't, I mean, they didn't lose in like, they didn't lose a ton in the off season, but I don't know. I mean, this, the championship team is, is kind of gone now, except for a few players. So I don't know. I mean, I, I could definitely see them being better than six, but and and I will say the that I think they're a playoff team. So my floor is nine, but I don't right. think it's like I don't think it's likely that they would ever get that low. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I it, I definitely could see just Lowry and Nurse alone willing them to at least pushing getting home core in the playoffs. Right. Like those two are just so good. Right. Like nurse and Lowry to me are like a perfect marriage. Mm-hmm. I mean, just it always has been because nurse has been there for basically as long as Lowry has been there, like maybe a couple of years, you got there a couple of years after um, Lowry got there, but still it's been, I mean, so you know how basketball reference, like on their franchise pages have like the top 12 all time players, you know, who's mm-hmm. first in Raptors history, Kyle Lowry, greatest Raptor of all time. And I just don't think he's off. I don't think he's faded yet. I really don't. He was, he almost won them game seven last year. Like think about how bad Pascal was and Lowry almost overcame that. Like he fouled out, but we all know Kyle Lowry fouling out. Isn't because of like stupid shit he did. It's because he's trying super hard and that level of effort. I, and plus I know Baines is coming in, right? And the, so that's a new piece. But otherwise, I feel like the team is pretty much the same as last year. Like, it's pretty similar. And I think continuity is going to be really, really big this year, right? I think the teams that are are going to be somewhat the same, like the Pacers and the Raptors, I think they kind of have an advantage a little bit. I should have brought that up in the Pacers section. But I think in this crazy season, I think that they're going to have a little bit of an advantage. Like, especially with the Pacers, with how much they were injured last year. I think that they could that could work in their favor with them being so much more prepared to suffer losses due to COVID, right? Because everyone's going to lose players to COVID. But um, it's going to be interesting to sh- for sure to watch the Raptors. Let's move on to our last team. <laughs> we did not talk about this trade. This trade happened between the last time we recorded and now. But in case you hadn't heard, there was a little trade that happened. John Wall for Russell Westbrook. And that means the Washington Wizards 
the ninth seed in the East last year now have Russell Westbrook, a player who made an all-NBA team last year. So the rotation, <laughs> the rotation for the Wizards is wild, okay? So <laughs> they have Beal, Westbrook, Bertans, Hachimura, and Bryant as their list of starting lineup. That, there's no way that's their starting lineup. That would be an absolutely terrible starting lineup. But then Ish Smith, Jerome Robinson, Denny Avdia, Robin Lopez, Troy Brown, and Isak Banga. I have to imagine Troy Brown's probably in the starting lineup. But Dylan, Washington Wizards, ceiling and floor. <laughs> so I have the Wizards with kind of this Hornets, Magic, Hawks group of basically a, a ceiling of seven and a floor of 11. Like, so as far as names, I mean, having Westbrook and Beal on the same team, I think if you said that like four years ago, it would be like stunning, you know, it would be like a finals contender. And obviously now it's not the same, you know, Westbrook the past couple of years, especially has has just gone off the deep end a bit. And, you know, it's sad because we had our moments with him last year with the Rockets where he was basically the five on offense and it was really working out. You know, he got rid of those, three-point shots. He got rid of most of the pull-up jumpers. And then in the playoffs, he just kind of went back to being Westbrook, you know, that we fell out of love with. And I don't know. I mean, I think he played that role for that team because they needed him to. And because the Rockets are a smart team that kind of does things differently. Um, I don't really see that happening with the Wizards. The Wizards are not necessarily known as a great organization. And I can't foresee them crafting the perfect situation for Russell Westbrook. I just can't. And I'm kind of just imagining him pushing the ball as fast as possible and missing layups at the rim while three guys guard him. So that's why I don't think the ceiling is that high. Um, I will say that Davis Bertans is going to have another great season. Because, I mean, Russell Westbrook draws a lot of attention. He's Bertans is going to have a ton of wide open threes, so that is good for them. Um, I don't like Rui Hachimura at the moment, and I can't imagine Westbrook passing him the ball much once he realizes that as soon as Hachimura gets it, he's just going to shoot. I can't see Westbrook being okay with that unless Hachimura makes all of his shots. And again, he's good at the rim. Like maybe he ends up shooting 70% just because he's at the rim all the time. I don't know. But I can't see that happening. Um, Thomas Bryant, I I just, I don't know. He's like, he's replacement level, you know. he's He is what he is. Um, like you mentioned, I think Troy Brown should be starting. I like Troy Brown a lot. Um, and that hopefully does happen. But who knows? And I mean, what a team! Like Ish Smith, Howell, Neto. Neto's I mean, on this team. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I just learned about three seconds ago. Lock him in for uh, the title. <laughs> Robin Lopez, you know. I mean, there's there's a ton going on here. That's for sure. So this is this is my opinion, right? Of the of the Wizards. Now. <sighs> I think that they're going to be a more extreme version of that Hawk situation we were talking about, right? Where 
they are going to have an explosive offense because between Bertans, Westbrook, and Beal, that's like 80 points right there. Just off the bat, right? You're going to, like, Westbrook and Beal are going to average, I think Beal could maybe average 35 a game this year. Like, I think that there's a possibility he does because you were talking about how good Westbrook is going to be for Bertans. How much, imagine how good he's going to be for Beal. Like, one thing that Westbrook is incredibly good at is finding three-point shooters. And say what you will about him, right? He deferred to PG. He deferred to Durant. He deferred to, he deferred to Harden. He defers. He's not like a, one of these guys that comes in and, like, as long as he's the second guy. Because like we were talking about, the jump from second to third is a pretty big jump. And when he's the second guy, I think he's fine, right? So my theory about Westbrook is, okay, I think that COVID really affected him. I really do. And he was coming off of an injury too. Now there's a possibility he comes into the season and sucks. I will, if he sucks right away off the bat, I'll, I'll fully cop to him sucking and admit to being wrong. I'm not ready to do that though. I'm not ready to admit to being wrong. Here's why. I think he could play like he did in January and March, January through March this year. I think he really can. And if he comes out playing that way, <laughs> it's going to sound ridiculous. I think the wizards could absolute best case scenario. The wizards finish sixth. <laughs> Absolute best case scenario. I think that they are going to finish. There's no way they don't finish in the playoff hunt, like in the little seed in tournament. <laughs> There's just no way that they don't. They're like Westbrook and Beal are too talented in the East. Westbrook, if he plays like he did in January through March, is a top four player in the conference. I think overall, I'd rather have Kyle Lowry on my team, but I don't think that Kyle Lowry is a better player than what Russell Westbrook. Like, you already have Bradley Beal and Westbrook. That's like a dynamic duo right there. The pal- If the rest of the team wasn't shit, I'd be more willing to go <laughs> go in on <laughs> the possibility of this team making the playoffs. The rest of the team is shit, though. So, I mean, realistically, <laughs> they're not going to be as bad as they were on defense last year because I don't think that's possible. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. They're going to be pretty close. <laughs> and... I mean, Robin Lopez at center was a good fix four years ago. <laughs> Not now. Not now. He barely got on the court for the Bucks last year. I don't know. Um, this the the floor is obviously like eleventh because everything goes wrong and they give up ten more points. Their their point differential is negative ten, even though they're scoring hundred points, hundred twenty points a game. <laughs> that, like that. That's something that could realistically happen. I mean. So, okay, let's just real quick go through the roster. So, okay, Westbrook, terrible defender. Beal, terrible defender. Bertans, terrible defender. Hachimura, don't know enough about him. Thomas Bryant is one of those um, revolving, um, the turnstiles. He's literally a turnstile on defense, and that's a problem when you're a starting center in the NBA. Ish Smith, never been a good defender. Jerome Robinson, pretty small. Troy Brown, he's okay. Um, Denny Avdia, he's a rookie, so he's probably going to suck. Robin Lopez, Again, four years ago. Hal Neto? <laughs> uh, um, Mo Wagner? He's good at taking charges? <laughs> and that's like, Isak Banga is good. But I don't know how much Banga is going to play. <laughs> and it's a more extreme version of the Hawk situation, funny enough, to bring it full circle at the end of the pod here. It's like a real extreme version of that. I just don't, I don't see how they recovered from that. But still, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with on offense. Hey man, it's gonna be fun. Like, oh yeah, 
there there's something fun about a team that's awful on defense and great on offense. Like I think we're gonna have to do a live pod every time the Wizards and the Hawks play because it very well could be like 160 to 158. It's it's a real possibility. Those two teams are just gonna run and gun, both of them. And I mean Westbrook and Beal. I'm excited to watch that. I'm excited to watch that because Russell Westbrook, like people are like, oh, he's going to fall off. He's going to fall off. Well, we've been seeing with the way people treat their can treat their bodies now. Athletes just don't fall off the same way that they used to. They can, but I don't think Westbrook is athleticism. He's going to fall off anytime soon. Now, whether the mentals stay there, that's a question in and of itself. But I... Uh, <laughs> I love this for Washington. I thought Washington stole Westbrook. I don't care what anybody says. Partita's just, poor Tita, I, as I as I heard on a podcast and I stole. Um, he's just a terrible owner. He's just a terrible owner. That trade literally made no sense for the Rockets. For the Wizards, I understand, right? Like this guy made all NBAs last season. It's not as a shitty of a trade for Washington as people are saying it is. For Houston, I think it's horrible. And we'll get into Houston next week. <laughs> but for Washington, man, it's rough. I mean, this is going to be legitimately – or for Houston, it's rough. Wall, ugh. I don't know how he's going to be coming back. Um, but I think I think we've ra- – we've, this has been a long one. I think this is the longest one we've done. Um. But this was a lot of fun. I mean, Gary Neal, needlessly slandered. <laughs> it was needed. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, <laughs> I, on that note, I think both of us are we, – this is way past our bedtimes. Um, this will be out on Thursday. Look for a triple option pass on Friday. Um, they're recording also right now. And those two guys are electric as always. And I heard Ryan may or may not have had a couple brewskis. Mm, um, that's dangerous. <laughs> Lynn Sanity. I actually got to tweet out the pods. It's a little late to tweet out the pods, but they're actually out now. Um, the week 13 interview and week 14 preview. Bryce Shaddy's on both of those. And Zach Griffith joined Caleb and Bryce for the, um, for the preview pod. Um, Circle City Cinema. I got to get around to it because I actually want to edit this and listen to it, but. Circle City Cinema should have an episode out on Gone Girl soon. Mm. Pretty, I love that movie. That's why I have to listen to it. Um, and then the Battleground just had a pretty, pretty exciting episode with Caleb Lynn filling in for Bryce. You know, Caleb brought the fireworks. <laughs> Caleb always brings the fireworks. What am I talking about? That's what he was born to do. That's what he was born to do. That's a, that's a beautiful. That's what he should put on his gravestone. Born to bring the fireworks. Um <laughs> On that note, Dylan Hughes, you're the man. Thank you so much. Hey, man, I'm going to have to harvest some more negativity for next week because obviously it was necessary today. I mean, hater of the year award goes to Dylan Hughes. It's not even close. It was coming in strong at the end of 2020 with with absolute hater takes. See you next time. Hope you enjoyed.